What's going on, quitters? It's another episode of Don't Quit Your Day Job. You know me. I'm your host, comedian Maxim Allen. Today is April 30th, 2022. It is a beautiful spring day. It's finally warming up to t-shirt weather in New York City, which is amazing because if it falls below 50, I get depressed immediately. We're ready for summer. And speaking of or ready for summer, we got a very special guest today on the show. We have a very funny comedian and probably the only comedian in New York City who knows how to drive a tractor. Give it up right now for Tony Sykowski. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm excited to talk to you about this because you've been doing comedy quite a while now. Uh, yeah, I would say since I graduated college, so like I'm coming up on like 10 years now. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Or like in full. It's been like segmented and weird, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's most people's story. At some point, so everyone drops out for like a like a year or something, comes back or whatever. Yeah, or even for me, it was more I did uh, like I was doing like so after college, I wanted, I lived in Chicago and did a lot of like mm. improv and sketch. Um, and that's like a totally different world right, from right. stand up where it's like adjacent. Yeah, where there's overlap in people who do both. Mm. But the way the scenes work and kind of hierarchies and all of that, it's nice. like they're different worlds. So right, it's right, almost right. like it's like the same idea, but it's you're it's the same goal. Of right. Making right. people laugh, putting on a good show. But the way that you like go about that and the philosophies and even just the personalities in them. Totally. totally different. So we'll we'll get into that, but I want to start with what was your first like comedy exposure? Did was your family into comedy when you were young? Did some friends show you? Yeah, I would say uh my family uh really loved The Simpsons. That oh, was like a nice. big thing. That's like I feel like that was the show that like my family would watch together. That's sick. I feel like most families I knew were like, we don't let the kids watch The Simpsons. Well, we knew people who wouldn't watch The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. Like, I know there was, um, so yeah, I'm guessing, I don't know if you even said that. I grew up on a farm. Right. right. Um, <laughs> so it was like, there was a family where we would rent land and like use one of their barns. Mm -hmm. And I remember my dad being like, yeah, and they like don't let their son watch The Simpsons. But it's like, it's like, <laughs> they like think it's like too vulgar, but it's like making fun of hypocrisy in yeah well, my dad doesn't use the word hypocrisy yeah. but like <laughs> that type of thing where he was just like he's like i just like don't get it it's yeah. like funny and it's like not malicious <laughs> he's like this is a very intelligent satire why would you not expose your yeah dad? that's not my, my dad likes it for like the fart jokes and, yeah and, or simpsons doesn't have that much for like fart jokes but like he's in it for the dumb stuff right, right that's like right. my dad's wheelhouse yeah it's like the dumb stuff then my mom's like the smart one oh, okay nice the perfect the perfect middle ground <laughs> yeah like even uh it's always i love it because my dad he he like can't do art house movies or okay. like even and even by art house i'm like he was in that's broad strokes like anything yeah, yeah. nominated for an academy award my dad will probably have a problem with. <laughs> like he like just like can't get into it he wants yeah. that like dumb blockbuster mm -hmm. um or even god what was it and he gives movie reviews like the guy who uh like does movie reviews for like maxim magazine where like <laughs> where you uh like, you know how, like, I mean, I don't know. It's not really the case anymore. But, like, when it used to be movie trailers on TV. Yeah, yeah, And they would be, like, it's, like, uh, like action thriller uh, Playboy. Like, they would have that in small type. But oh, they would yeah, just take yeah. segments of reviews to put in there to, like, encourage people to go. Mm -hmm. And then you could tell whenever it was, like, a publication that's, like, it's, like, uh, like uh, must-see movie. Uh, someone's name IMDb yeah, and you're yeah. like okay this is gonna be bad yeah <laughs> but my dad reviews movies like that okay like he even was like he's like uh, what was it Guardians of the Galaxy he's like he's like action comedy do I need to say more 
Does he have a letterbox? <laughs> no, dude. Oh my god! Now that you say that, my dad's letterbox. I think I might start one just of my dad's reviews of movies. I th- that's exactly what he needs. Hell yeah, that'd be so sick. Because <laughs> he just—it's like I feel like he always. My mom takes him to see movies, and then my dad just like anything that's like emotional, it just makes him sad. And he just like he's like, no, nah, why am I getting sad at a yeah. movie? This is like the like two hours that I have free during the day. Yeah. Why would I use that to bum myself out and remember like morality? Exactly. Your dad is like the the perfect like audience member for like stepbrothers. Yeah. Well, what's funny is um, it's like uh, even for like doing comedy stuff. It's it's funny talking to people who have no exposure to entertainment, like no understanding of like how like performing works, mm-hmm. anything like that, but they're convinced they know everything about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where <laughs> even okay, so when I first moved to Chicago, um, one of the first shows I did there was at a theater called the Annoyance Theater. Okay. And um I love the Annoyance Theater. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Uh it's just weird. They own it. Um, and the first show I did, it was, uh, their annoyance Christmas pageant, which is, they just took, um, that year they might mix it up every year, but that year it was Charlie Brown Christmas and, um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So all they do is they take like the classic, like TV specials that are like Mm -hmm. animated claymation animation, and then it's just people on stage doing it verbatim. Uh, okay. So it's like even like Charlie Brown, like it's like uh, you would just like mimic their like animated movements. So mm-hmm. you're like, what do you mean, Charlie Brown? Okay. Like, Interesting. And people can see it, but I did a perfect impression. Of Charlie yeah. yeah, yeah. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> so. It, okay, th- that's interesting. So, and it was there like a co- comedy aspect put into it, or was it all in the performance? So it was all in the performance, and then they would like own it. Where like even in Rudolph. Um, I played like the dad and the mm. coach. So like, even when it's like Rudolph's dad, like telling him to like cover up his nose yeah, and like stuff like that. And like telling him to fit in, like the lights would go red and get really sinister. <laughs> so like they would play up aspects like that where they're like, no, this is actually like abusive mm-hmm. or whatever. But it was like for humor. Right, right, right. Um, but to promote that show, the, the annoyance theater randomly got, um, an email from the man cow show. Which is okay. like Chicago's Howard Stern. Okay. Like okay. so it's like or like Opie and Anthony back in the day. I'm not sure if there's like a radio equivalent to it now, but it's Joe shock Rogan jock. Experience. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, but yeah. in a different way, where it's like classic shock jock. Yeah, 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 yeah. Radio morning DJ, huge in Chicago. Right. He was like the Howard Stern of like the Midwest, that type of stuff. Okay. Um, so they were like, Hey, we want to have you guys on our show to like promote your show. Whoa. And they were like, Yeah, we should definitely do this. This is great exposure. Or whatever. Even though the Annoyance Theater is the complete opposite of Man Cat. Right, right, right. Where it's even um, one of the guys in the cast, Tim Herlin, as we were driving. It's like, also, you forget shot, like uh, morning radio. They're in there at like 5 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. It's yeah. Br- a brutal <laughs> schedule. Yep. Where I had never done that before. It was Chicago winter. For, like, freezing cold. <laughs> so we're all like loading up in someone's car like 5 a.m. in the morning to like go in and record it. And then the annoying theater started by this guy, Mick Napier, who's like, uh, like in the improv world, like a genius. Mm. Like he's like, uh, just a great director, started the annoyance theater, artistic director of it. Um, but he's like a raging bisexual alcoholic. Like he like, who like wears cock rings on his belt. Like he's like, he's a, he's a character. He's yeah, yeah, one yeah. of my, he's an amazing person and brilliant, but he just like it's very much that kind of like, um, John Waters, like provocative on purpose and yeah, it's yeah, fun yeah. like you own it yeah yeah um so it's the fact that like this like 
kind of pretty conservative morning radio show was like <laughs> reaching out to this like queer absurd improv theater <laughs> to, like yeah. come on and so we go in and uh they we were part of a morning segment they like basically like took our like show and what we were doing mm. and then put us into like their storyline which was the war on christmas right so <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so we're in there oh also so it's like like the show is like very low budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where even like it's like to like look like reindeer, we wore like brown hoodie. Basically, what I'm wearing now, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. brown hoodie, and then like cheesy antlers. Right. And then right, we're like right. we're reindeer. Yeah. That's it, right? <laughs> it's like use your imagination, yeah, and yeah. then you own the fact it's like very like DIY. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we go in there, and then they have uh this guy next to us where it's like. We were there, and Mancat's like, and this is the annoyance Christmas pageant. Like, look how wholesome they are. It's wonderful. And the other person here uh, is a liberal socialist professor, Ooh. right? So then it's like this guy in a ponytail, mm-hmm. like, talking about how, like, Christmas is evil and it needs to get taken rid of, right? And then we go to a, a commercial break. And so we're on air. Goes to a commercial break, and the guy's like, hey, awesome. When's your show? I'm also an actor. Like, he, he's a character. Oh wow! Like he's like not actually a professor at all. He's not actually <laughs> liberal. They were just kind of like, "Hey, here's some talking points. Like, do this, and we'll pay you like fifty bucks or like a hundred bucks." Oh, it was just an acting gig for the guy. <laughs> the deep state strikes again. Yeah. Oh, also, okay. So there was, um, there was a comic on the show promoting his road gigs. Yeah, yeah. The same morning, um, so he was in like before us, and he like used to do cocaine mm-hmm. or something like that. So, like, they came up with a bit for him where he would just be like, oh, I haven't done cocaine in years. And then they had a person in a full gorilla suit with a fake bag of cocaine. And then they would just go, uh, his first name was Jimmy. He was like, they're like, uh, hey, Jimmy, you got the monkey on your back? And that was the whole bit. That was the whole bit. That was the whole bit. Uh, and then they just did that like five times because it's the morning commute. So you right, have to right. do the same bit every like 20 minutes because people are just in and out of their cars. Um so then after this whole experience, it's so for me, this was like mind blowing. It's my first real exposure to like uh, kind of the culture of like actual production. Right, right, and right. Like right. the absurdity of it and being there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember talking to my dad afterwards because I was like, oh, this is something he can relate to. It's like right. morning radio. Yeah. Uh, and then I was telling him, I was like, yeah, then they had this person in a full monkey outfit. And then we were like. There was this guy pretending to be like a, a liberal who hates Christmas, but really it was an actor. Mm-hmm. But like they were. Oh, and then there was also like they had their like hot side kick chick like yeah, lady yeah, yeah. Uh, who is in a bikini for some reason. This is radio. Like this no is radio. See- <laughs> middle of Chicago went. Oh, no, no. So this was it's kind of like how they like used to film like Howard Stern. OK, so they would like show it. So they would film this. OK. So like, but it was like, they would like play it on like channels, like first thing in the morning. Yeah. yeah so yeah. they wouldn't have to like pay for like new programming. Yeah. And stuff like that. <laughs> um, and then I remember talking to my dad about it and I was like, I was like, there was a guy in a monkey suit, a girl in a bikini and like, we're in a fake fight with this guy for the war on Christmas stuff like that. Oh, also man cow refused to talk to us. Um, he would talk to us on air, but like even before this podcast, how we like yeah, talked yeah, and yeah. like caught up, like, uh, shot the shit. He wouldn't talk to us. We'd have if we wanted anything, water, anything like that. We'd have to talk to the producer, who would then talk to Mancat. So there was a middleman for conversations, even Weird. though we were sitting directly across the table from him. That's um, so bizarre. So bizarre. It was so I was talking about all this with my dad, 
And my dad just goes, well, that's entertainment. <laughs> I was like, well, what do you know about entertainment? You just spent 10 hours on a tractor today by yourself in the middle of a field. You've never done anything entertainment related. And then he's just like, you know, Hollywood. That's how it is. I'm like, we're in Chicago. <laughs> Your dad is actually like an entertainment industry savant, but he's just like, no, nah, I'd rather just, you know, I mean, he's, field. <laughs> he's the guy that everyone's like, I mean, he's probably the perfect like person just to like, in, for a focus group yeah because you're just kind of like it's like what do you retain how do you feel mm-hmm. and he's like eh, it makes me sad <laughs> <laughs> just immediate word association <laughs> yeah. yeah and that's all that's like what you actually want right, right like right, from yeah. like it's like the same way like have you ever made the mistake of like someone complimenting you after a show and they're like oh like asking them like they're like oh i loved what you did you're like and being like oh like what was your favorite part <laughs> And then yeah. just see them be like, oh, we have no idea. We don't, we remember enjoying your set, but yeah. we don't remember anything about it. Yeah. Even as, even as a comedian, I, that happens to other comedians. It's yeah. like, damn, that was a fucking great set. And then after I'm like, I don't remember a single joke. <laughs> well, it, it's reminiscent. There's like some famous quote I'm about to butcher that's along the lines of like, you don't remember what people do, but you remember how they made you feel. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So I think especially with performance, it's like it's like when you're seeing a really good show, like you walk out and you're like, I like blacked out. I was so in the moment, so focused and like just enjoying yourself and like Mm -hmm. no inhibitions. Like so uh, (laughs) it's that's like what you want out of it. Where like comedians watch everything and like analyze it. Mm -hmm. And then it's like fucking annoying to talk to. So annoying. (laughs) So let me let me back you up here. So this is this is a a fucking crazy story to start the show with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so when did so you got into you said comedy after college, right? So you're watching The Simpsons growing up. What what is kind of the path to get you to start like being a part of comedy? What pushes yeah. you to join an improv group or to start this whole thing off? So in high school, I was doing like I would write like funny stories and stuff like okay. that, like more like short stories. Like growing up, I didn't know anyone who was a comedian. Right, right, right. Right. So it's like, uh, but like my mom had like a lot of books in the house and stuff like that. So like I read, I, I would read a decent amount. Mm-hmm. So it's like reading like humor articles, stuff like that. And then yeah, like yeah. watching like Saturday Night Live. Okay. I remember like watching like Weekend Update and being like, oh, I think I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like there was something about like delivering jokes, like especially like writing jokes and stuff at the time. I was like, I was like, oh, this is cool. It was like nice. Tina Fey and um, uh, what was it? Uh, Jimmy Fallon and then Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, right? So that okay, was like yeah. my weekend update when mm-hmm. I first got into it. But then I also love Adam Sandler years and stuff like that. But that's when like the new episodes were coming. Right, right. Um, and I remember, so I'd write funny stories and stuff, but it was always like, but it was also, I was like a f- fucking middle school, high school boy. Mm-hmm. So they were all just like fucked up. Yeah. Like it was all just like <laughs> weird, fucked up. Like it's like, oh, uh, and then like a giant dick enters the room. Or, yeah. I, I've never like sunk that low. I'm, but I, I, I know exact, symbolism. Okay? I know exactly what you're talking about because every humor, any, anything funny I ever wrote in high school was just that. Ooh! Oh, did, did the cat? Hang on, I got to some music on. The neighbor definitely did. And we're back. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so you're writing like humor, humor stuff in high school. Yeah, trying and, it out. And I think also like here's the other thing. I think part of it is when you're first doing it, it's like you're writing that stuff like for your friends, right? right? right so it's right. like you're like, oh, I'm trying to make like the other like the other guys that i hang out with laugh yeah yeah so it's gonna be a lot of <laughs> dick jokes and like 
sex and jerking off and stuff Perfect like that. Perfect open micer energy. Because that's well, because that's the audience. Yeah, right. They're like, right. oh, those are the people that are like, oh, dude, that's funny. You should keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the audience you're trying to appeal to. Where like right. then as you go on and do comedy, you're like, you're like, oh, I should have some stuff I can say from my parents. Yeah, you know? exactly. Oh, maybe, maybe, <laughs> uh, especially during the pandemic. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we're performing in a park at 3 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe I shouldn't be talking about like taking a giant shit or yeah, something yeah, like that. Right. And not that I like really do that anyways, but you're kind of like it makes you more mindful of like language and stuff like that where you're like, "Oh, and like being able to be adaptable." Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you first start, you don't know any of that. You're just like, "Stuff makes me laugh." Yep. I have these funny ideas, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's put them on paper and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Um and then in high school I feel like the first time I ever had experience like presenting stuff because my high school didn't really have like a theater department or anything. I went to a very small high school, Farmingtown, Hadley, Massachusetts. My graduating class was 43 people. OK, wow, right? that's so small. It's tiny. <laughs> I was in the same classes with people from like uh, preschool. So I like it's like I like didn't date. In right, high school. Right. I just like didn't have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I was friends with people from other towns and stuff like that. But I was also like awkward and working full time. Right. And right. all that. Um. So I remember, I, so it's like the the theater department at my high school was started by my older sister. Oh, wow. Or she like brought it back. <laughs> but then also I like wasn't, I had like horrible stage fright. When really? I, first started. I always imagine myself being a writer or someone like behind the scenes because mm-hmm. the idea of like performing terrified me. Um, I didn't like have fun with that yet. That's wild because you like you are such a on stage now. You are like such a charismatic comedian and like host that I would never guess that you started off with like stage fright like that. Yeah, it was like I would like be on stage with like it's like your arms to your side, but you still somehow see the sweat puddles. <laughs> yeah. You're just like you're saying they're like a tin soldier just yeah. trying to cover the sweat up, where you're like, like oh, and your voice is audibly shaking, yeah. where people like can see the fear. <laughs> when you you see a comic in an open mic in there, you can see the little yeah. handshake on the mic. <laughs> the the first time people are doing it, where you just have to like kind of let them bomb. Yep, and then you're like, well, we'll either see you again or we don't. Yep. I always tell people if it's their first time and they show up to the mic early and they're like, it's my first time. Like, what should I do? I was like, the biggest mistake you can make is not telling everyone it's your first time. Because we're just if you say it's your first time, everyone will be supportive. If you don't say it's your first time and you bomb that hard, people will be like, first time or does do they really suck? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, and then you get three times where you can say that. Yeah. You're allowed yeah. to be like, this is my third time ever doing Sam. Once yeah. you have four, it's like, cool, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Even though you still are going to yeah. be bad for like at least a year, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like you, you get yeah. three exactly. times to like excuse it. And then you have to be like, you just have to be bad now until yep. you hopefully get good. You got to suck like the rest of us now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. And then you see me where like there are times where I'm like doing new jokes. I want to be like, uh, this is first. Well, that's why then people who like do comedy more when they're doing new material, Mm -hmm. they do the exact same thing where they're like, oh, that's the first time I ever said that joke (laughs) when it bombs hard. Oh, when you like every time a comedian does that at a show, new joke at a show, it's like they do it and they're like, well, I thought it would work. (laughs) It's like, yeah. We've all done it. Well, I'm never saying that again. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it won't work here. It's not going to work at an open mic for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So so you're writing for your friends. You're writing some funny stuff. You Mm -hmm. are theater program. That's where you left off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, even like I was like a stage manager on a show, but I didn't have the confidence to like get on. Okay. But I did want to do like um, more improv stuff um, where even there was 
this guy who lived in who lived nearby named David Shepard. Okay. Who's kind of like some of my first exposure to improv. So he is like in the improv world, he's notable but forgotten. Okay. Where he was um he basically started improv in Chicago in the nineteen fifties. When I met him, he was like oh in God. his eighties, nineties. Right? So he started the Compass Players okay. in the nineteen fifties. So he was like friends with like Ed Asner, who's like the old man and up. I feel like that's for our generation. <laughs> wow. Like, um and uh so it was like uh, Elaine May, Paul Sills, who's like was like the first big director at Second City, might have started Second City. I forget like the exact details. Um, but he started. So David Shepard started improv at the Compass Players in the 1950s. But it was that like beatnik mm-hmm. movement where like he started doing improv because he wanted like people to talk about working class issues, even though he was Whoa. like a fucking millionaire who went to Harvard or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that weird intellectual, like he identifies with the working class or like pro union, mm. that type of stuff. 1950s, like r- radical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so then he started compass players, but then it's like, he like got upset when like, or like he didn't want to be a part of it when it like became second city mm. and they were going more for like comedy. He's like interesting. He's like, he's like he was like into the idea of like improv and people exploring like emotional and stuff like that. Like improv, but with sincerity. Not like not sincerity, uh, but that is very funny to just describe <laughs> improv. It was like, hey, but what if you do this sincerely? Uh, <laughs> what if you educate us about working class issues <laughs> as opposed to just being a thirty-year-old pretending to be a little boy? <laughs> but mom, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And you're like, dude, you're thirty. <laughs> the best improv at least, at least play <laughs> yeah dude. well that i have a joke where like if you want to teach anyone like uh what was oh i i i had a joke for a while where it's like because an improv like um i think stand-up has it too but improv has a lot of it's a ponzi scheme which is part of like what moved me away from it where it's like mm, a, yeah, the way yeah. that financially theaters financially support themselves is based on classes yeah right so it's the same way like stand-up clubs support themselves with like a two drink minimum. Yeah. Which yeah. sucks, but they have to do that to be able to pay performers. Well, improv theaters don't pay performers. They make all their money from performers. In right, most right, cases. right. Right. So not Second City, but I would say it's like UCB was UCB like notorious for that. And then check out uh two episodes ago. We talk all about it with Patrick Keene, uh UCB veteran. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. um, but the way they make their money is off of classes. Right. So to be able to audition for things at the theater, you have to take all of their classes. Right, right, right. Which means you have to drop like two grand yeah. at least. Like, I mean, in sh- New York, like that was like in Chicago. It- like it's about the same here. I think UCB no. was 500 per class. Yeah, which is insane. When I like first Nuts. moved to Chicago, it was like under 200. Damn. For so like, cheap. but that was also the annoyance theater. Then Second City would charge more. But Second mm. City is also a um their SAG, not SAG. That's Screen Actors. Um, their union. Oh, so second, so Second City pays performers when you like get cast. That's sick. On it. That's awesome. Um, so like, but you also have to work your way up where they have a bunch of like right. stuff to get there, mm-hmm. but you at least have the potential to get paid, but yeah. you're also getting paid to do sketch comedy and short form improv. You're not doing long form heralds in right, right. exploratory <laughs> bullshit. Okay. Where you're, yeah, like, yeah. you're like, oh, this is for all, all the people from my class who are in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what was, oh, okay. So 
this is I went on such a tangent. I also have ADD in case people can tell. <laughs> I'll, I'll just be good. like, I'm now talking about UCB when I started with David Shepard. I will say I was very impressed when you had that story about going on the radio show and you brought it all the way back to your dad. I was like, nice. That was a big loop. But it's we ended taken up there. a long time <laughs> to get there. Normally, I just forget the loop. Then people are like, what? <laughs> it was very I'm just good. like, what was I talking about? I don't know, but I jerked off before this. And <laughs> so, yeah, you're talking to David Shepard. Yeah. So um, David Shepard randomly moved to Western Massachusetts, where I grew up, mm-hmm. and he was like retired and old, um, in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> this guy who started theater in the 50s. Did you know he was old? Uh, could yeah. you tell? Um, he started with the old man from Up. Did you know mm. this man w- might be elderly? <laughs> so, He's also CGI as well. Oh. Like the old man from Up. Oh, yeah. Once He's people confused. hit 65, CGI. <laughs> Uh, that's my new conspiracy theory. <laughs> Old people don't exist. They're all computer <laughs> computer generated. They're just green screened into reality. Just wait till you see them in Fast 10. It's yeah. going to be crazy. <laughs> Old folks' homes, just hard drives. That's just where <laughs> yeah. the, their files are stored. It's just the Matrix. That's yeah. why none of them move. They're just in a pod. <laughs> um, so David Shepard came to our school and did, he was working on a new project, which now seems insane, but this was pre- this was still like when people have flip phones and stuff. So it was like okay, pre-smartphone yeah. right. and all that. And his whole project was using like uh, was a book telling people how to like make short film, improvise short films together as kind of a collaboration project, more like a fun hobby. Interesting. Where it's kind of like, hey, get a bunch of people together, come up with a basic plot structure, kind of like uh, what each scene is going to be about generally, and then take a camera out and then film it. And then at the end of the day, like watch it. Hmm. Right. So it's kind of like, yeah, you're like, oh, it's a story about um, like someone in a fight with their mom. Cool. First scenes, they're fighting with their mom. Cool. Then it's the next scene is the mom at a cafe talking to a friend about the fight. Um, the next scene is the daughter or son, whoever uh, talking about the fight. And then mm-hmm. it's like uh, the dad's involved. And then at the end, it's like they reconcile or they don't. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. So it's like. But each the dialogue in every scene, you're kind of like, you're so and so, you're so and so. You want this. You want this. Go. And let's mm. see what happens. Okay. So he came and like did like a little, like basically led us through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember thinking I was so annoyed because there were like people in the class who were like trying to like script the movie, mm. and I was like, I remember I like stormed out at one point. I was like, <laughs> it's it's weird where I'll be like really stubborn about bullshit, or I used to be. Now I'm <laughs> yeah. a little more like, but I was like, I was like, the point is it's improvised, right, right. <laughs> uh, and then I remember I like did that. And then there was like, uh, I like got mad and like left. And then I think I like saw, I remember David Shepard being like, like kind of like giving me like a nod of approval or something. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Hey, okay. I, it's good to be a fucking piece of shit sometimes. <laughs> or when you, you have conviction is for yeah. a reason. Whereas yeah, like exactly. the point of this isn't to script an entire scene. It's come up with the idea of the scene and then just go do it and see right. what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So when I graduate, so I graduated high school and then I was at college, and I uh, got cast in my college improv team. Okay. Um, Where'd you go to college? You went- UMass Amherst, which okay. was like the town next to where I grew up. Okay, gotcha. Um, and so I, that's when I like first like got involved with like improv. Because before that, mm. I thought I was like a writer, and then I started doing improv. And like even the like audition we had, I remember. I mean, if I look back now, I'd be like, we're all so fucking bad and all that. <laughs> But at the time, I was like, my mind was blown. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, these are the funniest fucking people I've ever seen. Like <laughs> all that. So you you get this little taste in high school with this like class by David Shepard, and then yeah, when yeah. you get to college, you're like, I'm gonna imp- try out for the team. 
Would you have friends who are also auditioning for the improv team? Or? So the way I auditioned for the improv team, it wasn't even like an, um, I probably wouldn't have done it on my own. Okay. Because I was like, I remember it was me and my friend Seth Haypenny who like we like started together because we both saw like the improv team like held up, like put up flyers around our dorm mm-hmm. and we lived in the same dorm and we were just in his room smoking a bunch of weed. And then I saw he like had the flyer. I was like, hey, I was thinking of doing that. He was like, hey, let's let's get high and just audition together. <laughs> so then even on the way over, it was like we like both grew up like a little more like bro mm-hmm. or like whatever. like I grew up small town, a lot of rednecks. And then he grew up in uh, like born uh, Cape Cod. So we we're both yeah. from Massachusetts, but like both like working class, like families, background, stuff like that. Um, and he's more of a hippie, but like still that like working class hippie. Yeah, smoke yeah. a lot of weed. And I remember on the way, we were like, we're like, if this audition is just a bunch of fucking theater nerds, we're out. Okay. (laughs) Just look at each other and we're just going to fucking walk out. Okay. Like we can't deal with that. And since then I've grown to love theater nerds. You just learn how to deal. You learn like the different, like, um, way that people interact where it's like the way that like Mm. theater kids interact is different than improv kids. But it's like, there's overlap. Same with stand up. Same with, like, if you're talking to someone who's in finance. It's like, you just learn how they interact with the world, Mm -hmm. and then it's, like, fun and interesting. Exactly. Because you're like, oh, you're stupid. Everyone's stupid. Honestly, when my, at my college, the improv team, when they were putting up flyers, I remember being like, who's in that? And being like, seeing who was in the improv team, and I was like, I ain't fucking go to that shit. (laughs) Yeah, so, I like, even, the improv team I was on, it was, like, the long form one, and then Mm -hmm. they also, like, so they had, um... UMass Amherst was where there's a short form improv group that was one of the first touring companies, maybe. Okay. Uh, Mission Improvable, hmm. um, which was like good name. Yeah, where even um, like one of like in the world of like college improv, it was like one of the first like improv like teams, mm. like started in like the early nineties. Oh wow! Um, and they've had like notable people like go through it mm. and things like that. Um, so, but I didn't do that one. That was like, they like perform family friendly, short form improv. Mm. Um, I did like, uh, the long form group, uh, and we would like, we were like the dirty group. <laughs> Parental advisory suggestions. Com- yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we would say fuck and like fuck each other on yeah. stage and like dumb shit. Hump the stools. Yeah. Which, <laughs> so here's the thing in like hindsight, I'm like, oh, you're like, oh, classic like fucking dudes. Yeah. Like doing that. But at the same time, I'm coming from like high school where I was writing a lot of like dick jokes and stuff. I mean, I still do dick jokes. But um, <laughs> it's like that thing where you're like, oh, yeah, this is what makes me laugh because it like mm. is reminiscent of hanging out with my like guy friends. Right. And, like, right. Right. Weed and just like drinking. And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, fucking the. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Like, you you kind of come into. I never thought about your like when you before you start comedy, your comedy is tailored towards who you're exposed to and yeah. who you're trying to make laugh, which is really interesting. Yeah. So I mean, it's the same way you relate to whatever audience. Like it's like when you're performing to a crowd, um, in like an alt room that's very like hipster and progressive in mm-hmm. Brooklyn. You're performing. I perform. Not. It's not even like I'm different. It's I tail. I try to tailor my material to the crowd. Because I'm like, right. I know they don't want to hear, like, even now, it's like, I have, like, material about, like, uh, my girlfriend being half Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Which, if I'm in a room that's, like, diverse, and, like, a lot of different, like, races, does great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But if it's an all-white room, it's like, especially if I see, like, if, like, most of the crowd's, like, white women, I'm like, skip it. Yeah. There, what I thought was so at my show, Two Virgins, like, weekly, there was, like, a meetup group that would meet before the show in the mm-hmm. same bar. A lot of, it was like an after work drink. So it's like a bunch of corporate people. And sometimes yeah. they would come in 
and you know you know comedians that we would we would like have some people on you know and they would just go up and do their set that's just like so bushwick just i do coke and i fuck a lot and these people are just like <gasps> yeah <laughs> it's like yeah you gotta read the room or even <laughs> it's like if you're gonna like even now i've like realized i wouldn't do it if i was like auditioning or doing like a a five minute like audition spot for mm-hmm. something like if you're doing like a bar show like you have to check in yeah with you absolutely or even I, I did like a random show at like grizzly pear and like the person before me did like five minutes on eating ass <laughs> and i i remember it's like before that it's like it was like a really small house mm-hmm. right i don't do a lot of stuff at pear so like if i do get an opportunity to do stuff there it's like one of their like lighter shows right right um and but there was like this old woman from wisconsin there, mm-hmm. and she like had the like wisconsin accent yeah so i even like went up and i was like do they eat ass in wisconsin <laughs> and she was so fun she was like she was like yeah and i was like i was like okay fuck yeah i mean it also yeah, yeah. was bad material but like <laughs> it's that thing where like you can check in and people have fun where you're like does wisconsin eat ass <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one that's a great question because <laughs> i would have been like ma'am are you all right <laughs> i even do it where like if i'm like gonna do jokes about like i mean like i try to write material that can kind of like everything's in the like setup to like the punchline like mm. which is a little heady of a concept but it's like ideally like you don't have to know my dad to get a joke because right. the information in the setup explains to you what you need to know about him exactly and then the punchline is whatever was set up was set up like mm. releasing the tension yeah from it. um but to like check in with an audience and if you're gonna do a joke about um like like even like a joke about like doing cocaine or yeah, something yeah. like that. I have a joke about like that, and there are times where I'm like, "Do you guys do cocaine?" Because like if if someone has yeah. no exposure to it or like yeah. anything like that, I'm like, "Oh, then you have no basis for understanding right. the humor. You kind of have to have exposure to it in mm. a different way." I have like I've tried to do this more where it's like I'm trying to write jokes about the specific niche things I like, but kind of similar where it's like I set it up. In such a way that it's like, like, I've got a joke about Korn releasing a new album, right? I am an ironic Korn fan. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I talk, I do this joke where I'm like, yeah, so like Korn guys, not growing as musicians, like, <laughs> and people who don't even know the band Korn, they like, they get it. They're like, oh, he's talking about some old band, like from the 90s. Oh, they released an album this year and he says it sucks. And it's like, like the joke is I'm like Korn releasing an album in 2022 is like a child cooking you breakfast where you're like, oh, I'm. I'm really grateful that you put a lot of work in and you wanted to surprise me, but like, do I have to eat this? And yeah. that, it's like, Oh, and if, if you do know what I'm talking about, it's a bonus. If you yes. don't, you can still get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you're not talking about the band. You're talking about the band corn, but you're using it to talk about bands as they age. Right. And how they either develop or they don't. Right. So it's like, as a fan, you're kind of like, Oh, they're doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Exactly. Also new metal's back, baby. <laughs> I love it, dude. I'm such a fan. <laughs> I've Limp Biscuits, a- like fuck. People are getting into Limp Biscuit. Dude, it's crazy. I have a, I have a uh, playlist on my Spotify, and it's just new metal shitlord, and it's just full of like Linkin Park and like all those like new metal one hit wonders and Dude. stuff. Stained. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love. Gen- What's great about Gen Z is they like. There's no. They consume all media. Right. Right. So they're like they're aware of like uh new like they they're they're exposed to random things mm-hmm. where they're like oh they know new metal from some tiktok that went viral yeah. or something like they know uh it's really like, they know the band disturbed just because like right. yeah someone did a tiktok <laughs> like, like 
it's i think what it is it's like honestly like millennials like right we define kind of what's on the internet based on our tastes and like gen z grew up into that in that world so they see the older people talking about these things it's like i like when i was a kid though i didn't get into led zeppelin until like high school right mm-hmm. then in high school when i started listening to led zeppelin my mom is like i love led zeppelin and i was like my whole life we've been listening to matchbox 20 mom dude <laughs> like- okay don't shit on matchbox 20 <laughs> big fan love rob thomas right. santana rob thomas smooth oh big moment in my childhood <laughs> i had the single you had the single. <laughs> yeah, I used to buy singles. That's a thing that I don't think people, that's a concept people don't have anymore. It's like you used to buy a CD that only had two songs on it, <laughs> but it was like three bucks. I'll tell you what, my, I feel like the years like 1998 to 2003 in my life were just Matchbox 20, like Santan. Yeah. I <laughs> when, mean, when it, Rob Thomas went solo too, huge moment. Uh, <laughs> big, big. I love, love me some Rob Thomas. Um, <laughs> Uh, but then, yeah, so you, like, get into bands. Um, it's just such a strange way that people get into music now. Where, like, yeah. even, like, a lot of it, like, I mean, because I didn't use the internet, like, because you get, I mean, I don't know how you find corn, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know how you go down that rabbit hole, but I feel like, for me, like, getting exposed to music was, like, I would listen to a band. Like, even when I was younger, it would be, like, a lot of, like, pop punk. Or even, like, it's like my mom would have the Nirvana Nevermind album. Because she liked that she liked uh that Nirvana was like punk but poppy. Right. right? right so it's right. like even like she would like I remember my mom telling me a story about Kurt Cobain where like his issue is Kurt Cobain always wanted to be cool because mm-hmm. he came up in the punk scene and like kind of grunge punk stuff where like the whole thing is being like like his issue was he wrote songs that were too catchy. Mm. Like, he would, like, try to do, like, a, just, like, a fucking straight-ahead, like, punk song that's, like, yeah. fuck the establishment, and then people are humming along to it. Right, right, and right. he's like, what the fuck? Like, that's what, that his problem was he was too good of a musician. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, so, and, and that's why he killed himself. No. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm a hack. I'm a fraud. He's like, I'm selling too many albums. <laughs> but I think that's, like, that's, like, a lucky thing. Like, if... I feel like back in the day, if your parents had good music taste or someone older in your family had good music taste, mm-hmm. you were like lucky. Otherwise, it was just what's on the radio. Dude, it was my mom getting my foot in the door um, with like good music taste. And then my cousin was kind of like, I feel like my cousin introduced me to like cool music mm-hmm. um, the way that like a lot of people's like older brother does. Okay. Where, yeah, like, yeah. So she, um, uh, Kristen, um, she worked for like Vice when it first started. Whoa, cool. Um, where even she gave me like a DVD of like Vice's like short like journal, like uh like uh reporter pieces where mm-hmm. they like they're like, We're going to uh South America and meeting like the like a farm that was like uh like a Nazi colony. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. like supposed to reestablish the Aryan race, but now it's in ruins. Yeah. Like <laughs> but then it's just a fucking hipster in South America being like, it's like, do you have kombucha? Have like, you heard of this place? Yeah. yeah. Are we like, can we shoot guns ironically? That's sick though. That's a, a dope thing to get into. So she got me into um like My Morning Jacket, mm. um, Death from Above 1979, Black Lips, like a bunch of like cool like al- alternative bands. Mm. Um so that exp- that heavily influenced my music taste. So my mom kind of like got me into like punk, like Nirvana, and then even like Jim Blossoms. I love fucking Jim Blossoms. <laughs> I don't even know who that is, dude. Um, they have like Hey Gels. It's like early. It's classic like early nineties like 
alternative. Okay, I'll play for you. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then cue up Hey Jealousy. No. <laughs> it just cuts, it cuts to music. During this. <laughs> the, 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 the remaining 60 minutes of this podcast are just music recommendations. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm, I'd be so down for that. <laughs> uh, anyway, so you... We were we, we were on improv. We were talking about the improv nerds. We were talking about uh, developing your taste, getting exposure. Oh, you were on the improv. Oh, where, what the fuck? College improv team, theater. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, is that how we got here? We got to. We were like talking about music recommend. How to find music? Uh, oh, writing specific jokes. Oh, about f- niches. Understanding the audience. Yes, you were the dirty improv team. That's where we were. Yeah, yeah. So we were the dirty <laughs> improv team. Which I love at the time. In hindsight, it was like everything that's wrong with improv and what everyone makes fun of Mm. uh, for it. But it was a great entry point where like I think people forget like when you get in, you like especially for like it's probably different now. I think people are a lot more aware Mm -hmm. of like kind of material. What's cool. Like, I mean, people were still arguing about whether or not women were funny. Like when I like (laughs) first started doing improv. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was like that. Yeah. Type of thing. Or like our team was like all like straight white dudes. Basically, we had like a couple female members. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like, but uh, but that was like the foot in the door. Where, right, like, right, right. You do that, and then hopefully from doing that, you kind of see like as people are like, "Hey, you should have a more diverse cast," or mm-hmm. like shows are just more fun if there's diversity in it because it's right. a varying of opinions. Um, so then hopefully people just grow. Like right. as you like do it, you're like, oh yeah, that was like I get what they're criticizing. So let's like. Not even because we like, I think the issue with like, because there's a big talk about diversity now mm-hmm. with like performing and people feeling like there are as many opportunities and stuff like that. It just makes things more interesting. Absolutely. 100% right? agree. So it's like, even like when I'm like booking a show, I want people of varying opinions because then it makes my straight white dude dating jokes stand out. <laughs> You're just in it for you. You're like, I'm doing this for me. Yeah. yeah. But it makes sense. Like one thing I talked about with, um, I've talked about this a couple of times, but the when you have a, a diverse lineup, your audience is going to be a whole bunch of different types of people for the yes. most part. And when it's like, when you have, I'll notice at my show, right? Cause it's like me and David and then we'll go up and like, we'll have a comic open and then David. And then like when, if it'll be like two or three guys in a row before we get to the female comics later, when the first female comic gets on stage, sometimes you can feel like tension release in the audience members or like, like people, it's like, oh, if, if like you have a, if you're just doing a show and you have, you have like a lot of black people in the audience, once you have a black comedian, they are like, oh, nice. It, it kind of like eases them up and it kind of shakes it up. It helps. I don't know. I'm not saying like people should be like tokenized to be for spots on shows or anything, but it's when you have variety in your lineup, the audience appreciates that. Yeah. And all different types of people appreciate that. It just works out for the best. You it, know? it makes people like feel seen because yeah. especially stand up, a lot of it is talking about people's personal experiences and how they view the world right so it's like even like when it comes to race uh, i don't know if you're aware of this i'm white and don't know what it's like to be black yeah yeah Uh, i don't know if you could tell (laughs) um so it's like when people see like a black performer on stage they're like oh okay this is like someone who at least has a similar understanding of the view of the Mm. world or like at least has more of an understanding of how i see the world right you can um, kind of bridge that gap. You yeah. Know? So it, it just makes people feel a little more comfortable and they're not kind of like, oh, am I like not supposed to be here? Right. Like right. no one's talking about anything <laughs> that relates to my family. Like, exactly. If people are on stage talking about like even the difference of like, so like a white comedian talking about going to church and a black comedian talking about going to church. It's a different church. Right. You're like the way that like uh, people like, yeah. So I was about to say the way that priests perform. Um, 
<laughs> but it's just like it's culturally yeah. different. So one it's is, nice. One is traumatic. One is fun. Yeah. So it, it's nice where like if I get up and I'm talking about the band the Black Lips, like people that didn't grow up with it or like aren't into punk music are going to be like, they sound fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice having people that like kind of reflect your reality back to you. Totally. I, I think also it's like when you mentioned like having an improv team of like all straight white guys, it's like you'd really have to like you're not you're going to be once again performing for who your audience is, who you're practicing with your other straight white guy team. Then you got six people humping stools at the same time. On yeah. Stage. <laughs> and who has that much money for stools? Right. <laughs> six stools on stage. Same time. That's a lot. It's a lot of stool money. So much. So how long are you doing? How long are you in your college improv team for? I did it for four years, my four entire years. time in college. I lived in the improv house, uh, which is like a, a party house. Uh, it's, it's like a lame frat house. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I lived there for three years, and there was just like a lot of drinking and uh, arguments about George Lucas. You know, that's nice. just nice. kind of how improv parties go. So when you graduate college, you do move to Chicago for improv? Yeah, so I had people who um, who had been in the improv groups move to Chicago and mm-hmm. like get involved with the Annoyance Theater. Okay. So it's kind of like a direct pipeline where I was kind of like, oh, if I go there, I already know people in that scene who can kind of like mm. at least help you get your foot in the door or help you like situate yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so even because going to school in Massachusetts, I know a lot like some people like move to New York City. Here's the great thing about not going to New York City right away. Chicago, everything is half the price of okay. New York. So you can aff- like I was like, oh, I'm not good yet. And I can afford to be bad in Chicago. Mm, right like so it like it can be good like and there's just more opportunity for stage time it's easier to get up and kind of like just get those bad shows under your belt right i think that's one of the other things people say is like if you if you do comedy somewhere before new york city you get to be bad somewhere else and then come to new york city pretty good yeah so better you've already like gone in shape right right? so it's like you don't want if you're like in gonna do a weightlifting competition or something you don't want people seeing you like when you first got to the gym. Yeah. You want to roll up already being in shape and knowing what you're doing. Right. And you can still do it. It's just like if you're trying to make a quick impact in New York and like impress people, it's nice to show fully form. Yeah. And I didn't. <laughs> but the idea of it makes yeah. sense. Um, so will you move to Chicago for improv or did any of your improv team come with you from college? No. So it was I was originally supposed to move with um, Seth. Um, the uh my friend who i got into improv with mm. um but just like he was like trying to figure it out and then it just like didn't make sense yeah um and then so uh yeah i moved there but i had connections so i like already mm. like had like room set up where people were like hey we got room like opening up if you want to take it nice so i like moved down and did that um in chicago if you're trying to do improv mm. like i mean now with the pandemic who knows where it's at because i know like some theaters shut down but they're also opening it's confusing everything's like improvs in limbo right right with it but at least pre-pandemic when i was there it's like you go there and it's like it's an improv like the scene there is like it's like people call it the improv mecca hmm. uh, or mecca of improv what it, however yeah, yeah, people yeah. phrase it um <laughs> and because it's a place where like people are open to you going and just like doing improv for the sake of improv whoa so it's like in New York, it's like especially like it became maybe I had it for a little while. And there are probably places in New York that also do it. But it's like an industry town. Yeah. So like people have the motivation like, oh, you take classes at UCB or you do improv. Um, and they also have some character work and then you showcase yourself, get an agent. And they're going out on auditions and then improv something you like also do. Right. But it's like to lead to bigger and better things. Right. It's a step, not the end. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think Chicago, at least at the time, they're starting to do more like production work and there's more stuff being filmed out there. Um, but it was kind of like, oh, no, you just like do improv then have like a shady day job. But it's like for the sake of doing improv. Yeah, that's sick. So it's like it's like stand up out here in a lot in a lot of ways. I mean, it is industry still, but that makes sense. Also, it being cheaper than New York. Uh, Dude, very appealing. <laughs> I mean, I, I never paid more than the most expensive apartment I had in Chicago was when I moved in with my then girlfriend was six eighty a month. Total. And that was total. Or no, 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 not total. Uh, that was what I paid. I paid for half of it, but that was a still so um, cheap. That was a two bedroom with uh like full living room, full kitchen, a balcony right near Wrigley Field where you could hear all the concerts from our porch. Like so it was like <laughs> what year is this? Uh that was twenty seventeen. Oh my god. That's an insane deal for that time. <laughs> so that's I mean, that's what's good about it, is um I mean, it's like affordable. Like, right, right. So you can like, there's a lot of like standups in Chicago who like can do standup exclusively because mm-hmm. they like tour the Midwest, and then yeah, they also yeah. like live in like, and that was like a nice apartment. Yeah. When yeah. I first moved there, I was paying three fifty a month. <laughs> I mean, the house was oh condemned. Gosh. Yeah. But like, still, it's worth it. Worth and that was it. like for like a room and like we had a backyard mm-hmm. and like it's yeah. So it's oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I wake up every morning. I think about the housing crisis. Um. <laughs> yeah, so it's just like so that I think that's also the appeal of like what can be good. Where it's like if you're looking for a place to start off in comedy, like unless because also I like needed time to like figure out what I was doing. There right. are people who are like it's like I want to be on TV right away. Who are very ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish I had that like drive and focus where I'm like I'm gonna fight my way to the top. I'm gonna get these notices. I don't give a fuck. Yep. <laughs> this is all I care about in the world. This is how I find meaning. It's I'm such like, an intense vibe. <laughs> I'm like I should email that person. <laughs> I I think I'm in your boat where I have like these little projects that I like just water a little bit week by week, and I'm like I'll get some. I'm just working on this. But when I see people who are really like like squeezing past people and working their way up and like really getting after it. I'm like, holy shit. Like what part of your brain do you have to act? Do I have to access to figure that out? I mean, it's also a personality thing yeah. where it's all figuring out. Cause I have this conversation a lot where like everyone, like you hear one comic who got successful and yeah. then they tell you how they got successful. Then everyone thinks they have to do it that way. Right, right, right. And that's not the case at all. Exactly. It's like what makes people interesting is that everyone has a different process mm-hmm. and different goals that they want. Mm-hmm. Right. So like even like doing stand up where, like I'll talk about having different material for different rooms. Mm. There are people who don't want to perform. Be there are people who only want to perform to like alternative rooms. Right, 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 right. Like they don't. The idea of like uh being a like I'm tr- the way I describe it makes them sound like bad performers. Okay, but it's more they're just like no, I know what I want to do, mm. and I don't care if it appeals to everyone. I just want to go to rooms where they get what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where I like to be like. I, I like performing in different environments. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of like going to a room and being like, fuck, I can't relate. How do I perform when I have no middle ground with these people? Right, right. Like <laughs> it, it's like a fun challenge. And it like kind of like from doing that, you learn like a different like way to like approach things because you're kind of like, oh, how do I write material about like the human existence as opposed to like just me talking about David Lynch? Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's yeah. like, it's like, how do like what what's universal mm-hmm. 
right? And then it's like, how do you use? So instead of just talking about the band Corn and doing some pun about the name Corn or whatever, yeah, yeah, it's like, oh no, you're talking about like the development of bands. Everyone has music they love, and they've seen that band like do the same thing over and over and over mm-hmm. and over. So it's cool being like, oh, what's this joke really about? And right. it just pushes you also to like just be better at relating to people. Totally. So with the along those lines, how was the transition from your college improv team to what was it? He said insan- insanity. Is that uh, annoyance theater. Annoyance. That's the word. Yes. How was the transition to those teams in those classes? Um, it was good. I mean, so it was nice being in Chicago doing improv and like taking classes where you're like, it was like, I mean, people the way improvisers make money is by teaching classes right and doing commercial work and customer service at groupon that's <laughs> how they make money yeah, yeah um so uh the, you would have classes with like improvisers who are like the best in the world mm-hmm. for what they do um so it's like you're kind of like a little in shock and they like knock like so they really like they push you but it's also like so it was, it was great um and I I didn't have that much trouble actually. Yeah. I think it's like because even like it's like I would do stuff that was like shitty or like weird mm-hmm. or like it's like do dick jokes and stuff. And then someone's like, hey, maybe don't do that. I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> right. So yeah. it's like if you like actually listen to feedback, which is like a lot of what comedy is. If the yep. goal is to laugh, when you have to know when people aren't laughing Absolutely. and know if it's because they don't get the joke or the joke's not good mm. or it's just not relatable material or you're a psychopath. And yeah. You're scared for their lives. <laughs> you, I love the I love that there's like there are people out there who do stand comedy who are will not take any feedback and just bomb continually <laughs> it's like it's, it's i mean that's how you can tell like from seeing people on mics like if yeah. they're like working where even like i'll see comics now that are like just getting started and i'll be like oh okay they're they're like not good mm. but they're working right they're they're trying they're mm. they're taking risks they're failing and yeah maybe they should like also read a book Mm. you know <laughs> like maybe they shouldn't just do jokes about how they do open mics every night right but that's them like they're growing and like figuring it out so it takes time to like figure shit out definitely where people expect you to have a solution right away it's like even it's like anytime you're like talking to someone who has different political views mm. or anything like that it's like they have to want the new idea or they want the change right you can't just be like Hey, actually, you should support abortion. Mm-hmm. And then, like, because they're like, they have to like have that idea circulating, but you have to have them kind of think they came up with it. Right, that makes sense. Or they have to be like, <laughs> oh, maybe uh, if someone's sexually assaulted, they shouldn't be forced to have the baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a novel idea! I just thought of. <laughs> You're just incepting these things into the young improvisers. The penis joke. I don't know about that one. Yeah. Oh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> and I've also, I mean, a big thing. This was so I took a class at the Annoyance, um, which was it was a very meta class where it was uh, taught by Mick Napier. Um, so what he would it was a class where he was teaching directors how to direct okay but to do that i was an like he would have a group of like improvisers and actors and then he would direct us and then he would turn around and explain why he directed us that way Mm. so it's very heady where like basically you would get a note and then he would turn around and tell them why he gave you that note that specific way Mm. so it's kind of like teaching people like how to edit someone oh i like that right but you're but also you're getting great direction yeah it it was like under two hundred dollars and i was like dude i'm getting to work with like one of the best directors in the world for fucking dirt cheap like hell yeah i'm in 
It's at Chicago prices, baby. Yeah. Hell yeah. Deep, di- <laughs> deep dish prices. Um, no, deep dish is kind of expensive. But uh, so um, so he was doing that. And I did one scene where I can't even remember. Oh, yeah. It was just I did a scene. And then at the end of it, he goes, uh, Tony, can I give you a note? Mm. And I go, yeah. And then he stops and goes, notice how I ask, can I give you a note? That means he has to say yes or no. Mm. If he says yes, then he's more open to hearing it because he agreed to hear what you're about to tell him. Uh, if he says no, don't give him the fucking no. Yeah. <laughs> right? And if you Very say that, people yeah. will um, like basically always say yes. Yeah. Right? Because it's like whenever someone like, people don't want unsolicited advice. Right. Right? If you go, hey, I saw what you were doing on stage. I have an idea. Do you want to hear it? Be like, yeah. Because you checked in with me. Totally. Yeah. Right? You're like, you're like, cool. Yeah. I'm like seeing if you're okay with this. I'm not just trying to like tell you how to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do, so, I do that with Lee. Like sometimes at shows, like I'll go up and if I bomb, I'll get off stage. She'll be like, can I give you a note? I'll be like, not now, but in like 20 minutes. <laughs> but that too. <laughs> yeah. Where like there are times where people, like I've had it too, where you're just like, not now. Yeah. And Late, then later we'll talk. <laughs> yeah. And then it makes sense where you're like, not a problem. Cool. That means you're just like not in place here. And if I t- just told it to you, you wouldn't have heard it anyways. Right. So exactly. if you're like actually like uh, bringing up an idea or something for like the right intention mm-hmm. of like trying to like uh, have someone explore a new idea or critically think about what they did. Yeah. You have to have their permission to do that. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, you should have consent for everything except sex. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. <that> was- <laughs> So you're you're doing you're doing all these improv classes. When when does you I'm guessing you do lots of shows. You 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 said you made it pretty high up in improv there, right? You well, I like lot. worked for a second city on a cruise ship. Oh for wow. A bit. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So how do you get this gig? Um so I it was over I mean it was like near the end of my time in Chicago where I was doing shows at like all the theaters there. Um so it's like there was like a big like there like the way that like New York has a lot of clubs. Like yeah. Chicago has a lot of like improv theaters. Um, and then I also started doing like I was like on a sketch group for a while. It was like a sketch improv group. And people from that like worked for Second City. So like I knew like Second City producers from that because like kind of the way that you get like start working for Second City or have them notice you is you basically email them being like, hey, we're putting up a show. We would love it if you guys came out. We'll make sure there are comps set aside for you. OK. Um. So we did that. Friends of mine got like hired by Second City. I auditioned for them a few times. I was doing stuff around the scene too. Like people right. like start to know you and hear your name, totally. stuff like that. Um, and then I was doing stuff at Second City had like a house program. They call it like House Co. I'm okay. not sure what they call it now. Um, where it's kind of like you take classes there, and then after that you audition for House Co. And then that's kind of their like minor league system. Okay. Yeah. Where yeah, it's yeah. kind of like, hey, we're interested in you. But you need to do more shows for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like they used to be house teams. It's like the Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then I like was going through that. And then I also was I started doing more storytelling. OK. Initially. Um, and then it was like from storytelling. I started realizing like, oh, my favorite part of telling a story is when I get the laughs. Mm. Right. Mm hmm. So I like I was like that started going like storytelling to doing more like stand up. Right. But I was still in the improv world and stuff like that. So I did a solo show in Chicago mm. um, just about like it was kind of like stories I had already done. Uh, and then I kind of like put them together under the idea of like I grew up on a farm and here's what led me to leaving. Right. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of like it's like autobiographical, but absurd. And there was like some like character stuff that like wasn't that good, but it was fine. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like showcasing yourself. Yeah. yeah. Through this. Um 
And from that, it was like uh, one of the producers at Second City like saw me in that and their final like house co show like mm. in the same week, and both of them went well and nice. like good material in both of them. So then I got like a cruise ship audition, and then I like got it, and then yeah. So I guess basically I like invited them to shows. They saw it, and the shows went well. Damn. So okay. So how long were you on this cruise ship? Four months. So what what were the shows you were doing? Like, was it just like an improv team show or a sketch? No. Or so what? it was. We did three different types of shows. Uh, we had a sketch show, which was like it's not even sketches we wrote. Um, so like we were working. I was on the Norwegian Breakaway. Okay. Um. And it docked out of Hell's Kitchen. Um, so right next to the Intrepid. Right. Like, cruise ships come in. Um, so we would do... It was kind of like... It would use the name Second City. It was kind of like... These are like classic sketches from Second City. Written by performers you know. Tina Fey, Chris Farley, all that mm. stuff. Um, so we would do... We would just learn sketches that had been done before at Second City. And then do them on the cruise ship. Mm. So we had two of those shows. Family-friendly sketch show. Uh, adult sketch show yeah which was like also cruise ship adult is way different than like <laughs> new york city adult totally right it's, it's like it's cleaner. like you can say goddamn yeah. like and you can like say like it's like rated our rules where like you get fuck to say fuck a couple times like yeah you can, you can say it but it's also like like don't go too dirty yeah don't shock them it's more you can like yeah there won't be kids in the audience right um so we did sketch shows. We also did short form improv shows, mm. family friendly and uh, dirty. Um, and then we also had a game show mm. we did, which Ooh. was horrible. It was horrible. It was horrible. Because so it, it wasn't really a game show. It was just we did party games on stage for an audience. Okay. And then they watched us play party games. Oh, and then okay. we like tried to be funny and like interactive. Mm. It was a show that Second City developed in Chicago. And then they were like, oh, this isn't that great. We'll stop doing Chicago. But it already been signed on for cruise ship contracts. So they had to keep doing it on cruise ships. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was like a show that was like, it was like, it was like, oh, we already recognize this is a bad show. Mm -hmm. or like, it's not that good. And audiences don't really like it that much. But we have to keep doing it because it's in the contract. <laughs> oh, boy. So how, how, how was the four months in the cruise ship? Dude, you know what? It was an experience where I'm. So here's the tough thing about cruise ships. You have like no internet. On right, right. So it's like it's like we would have to buy internet by the minute. Whoa. And it was like dial up speed. So you didn't so you basically everyone had a hard drive, then you download movies and shows onto mm. it. And then you would like occasionally like sometimes if you had like iMessage, it would like if you logged onto the internet and logged out, you could still s send text messages like from iMessage. Whoa. Not text messages, but like Yeah, yeah. Somehow that was like a loophole. But then it would also randomly cut out interesting so you'd be texting with someone and they're like oh I, you're just not gonna hear from me for two days <laughs> yeah because you're just out in the middle of the ocean you're yeah just doing satellite shit so that's what makes it tough if you had full internet it would be a sweet gig because it's room and board free food mm -hmm. um and you get paid well like nice. i was making like 1200 a week hey like, that's great to that's do amazing fucking yuck yucks that's like fucking sick <laughs> yeah so it was like it's like a good setup um i mean here's the problem you live in a strip mall that floats yeah. that's yeah. a cruise ship at, at the end of the day um, but you also, it's like, and this was 2017. So this was, I was on the cruise ship when Me Too started. Okay. Yeah, yeah, So I, like, didn't really experience Me Too except, like, secondhand. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I still don't get it. No, so there's like this, big, <laughs> so this big news cycle, and then you come back to, you come back to Doc, and you're like, what happened? Well, so <laughs> yeah. what was weird is we would, like, we would hear stories and stuff, and, like, we would, like, have to like we would like try to check the news and stuff like that but mm -hmm. you only have so much exposure to it right that way 
So like there were times where like I would like learn about people getting me too from audience suggestions. Whoa. We'd be like, hey, can we get a suggestion? They're like, Charlie Rose. I'm like, who the fuck's is Charlie Rose? <laughs> and they're like, oh, he's all over the news cycle right now. That's why. Um, like, I wouldn't know. <laughs> but also, so it's like cruise ships are a specific type of person. Right. Take cruise right. Ships, right. So like the only reason I ever like I wouldn't take a cruise on my own. Probably. Right. Like maybe if they're like it made sense, but I'm not like a cruise ship person. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's like our cruise ship docked out of Hell's Kitchen, New York City. So all of the passengers on it were from Long Island, New Jersey. OK. Yeah. Right. So it's a very specific demographic where like mm-hmm. half our audience would be in MAGA hats. Whoa. Because this was like during Trump presidency. Yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So you're performing and it's a lib our whole cast is liberal. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it's like it's like improvisers, comedians, like typically liberal. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So we would be performing for an audience that we like completely disagree with. Right, right, right. <laughs> so it's like a weird so it teaches you that muscle. I think it's why I kind of like performing in different environments mm-hmm. and stuff where you're kind of like, I'm like, how do I make this audience that I disagree with? laugh right wow <laughs> that's tricky i feel like especially in that that year 2017 because that like 2016 was the election 2017 was the inauguration so things were like hot that was it was it was hot baby. yeah <laughs> yeah holy shit and i you are the second person now on the show who's performed on a cruise ship the first one was a uh, aerialist you know like acrobatic circus oh ride. yeah yeah but dude uh did they tell you what the name of their show was I forgot it was an older episode. So but... here's what I love about okay, because we had um, it was like the Cirque du Soleil or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But legally, they can't call it Cirque du Soleil because that's a trademark name. So right. they just called it Cirque, right? <laughs> so they like they're like it's Cirque, like it's that like knockoff thing. Yeah, where you're like yeah, it's Cirque, <laughs> and they're like oh Cirque du Soleil. You're like no, no, it's it, it's 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 like it, <laughs> but it's not, it was generic Cirque du Soleil, <laughs> and the people are insanely talented. Oh yeah, but, they're crazy. It's nuts what they can do, dude. I. I uh, I mean, that was like the cool thing where like, I, I mean, living on the cruise ship, the best part of living on the cruise ship is you just met. It's an international crew. Right. So like also the crew bar, like at the time I was drinking crew bar, $1 beers and it was frowned upon to tip. It was like international rules where it's like, you're like, if like, I like tried tipping someone <laughs> once and they were like, what the fuck are you doing? Oh my God. Like, it's like insulting. That's crazy. Um, so then, but I would like just party with like a bunch of like, I like party with a bunch of South Africans mm-hmm. who are just, we went hard. It was crazy. Because <laughs> um, you have no responsibilities except for doing your show and hanging out. Yeah. Right? So for me, it also made sense. But they were also working 12 hour days, but they're just like, it, right. like for them, it was very much like a college, like dorm environment mm. where like, I mean, so I was in a relationship at the time, so I wasn't like sleeping around the ship, but like a lot of people were, and I yeah. kind of wish I could go back. Well, okay. Now I'm in a relationship again. But <laughs> next time you aren't, if you ever yeah. aren't, get back on the well, cruise so, ship. So here's my plan. So it's like also like cruise ship <laughs> comedians performing in a very specific way. Where like right. kind of the goal when you're doing cruise ship comedy is like if you're doing stand up on a cruise ship, um, it's mostly crowd work. Right. Because basically you're hired to be on the ship. And then, I mean, we were doing 12 shows a week for like improv and sketch. Right. Um, but if you're doing stand up, like stamps will have to perform an hour material every night. Mm hmm. And then, but it's not a different audience. You're, it's right, the same right, people all yeah. week. So you basically have to be like, how do I not burn all my material the first night? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, y- you see someone in the audience and you're mm-hmm. like, hey, Baldy. Like, <laughs> you're just like, you're going low. Who was it? I remember, I think it was Ashley Gavin, you know her? She was like a cruise mm-hmm. ship comic for a while. And I yeah. remember the first show I ever saw her at in New York City, I was like, this person is 
fucking incredible. And then like I talked to her a little bit after the show. She's like, oh, I was on a cruise ship for months. I just like got back. And I was like, that has got to work your muscles so hard. Dude, it teaches you all the cla- – it teaches you how to be uh, a classic performer. Right, right. Right? Because it's like you're you're just on there. like So you're not trying to be an artist or anything. You're like, I'm here purely for the money. Yeah. yeah. I'm, and I'm – in fact, my soul hurts how little art I'm consuming <laughs> and how unfulfilling this is. Right. But that paycheck's oh so, so sweet. Yeah. And right? you, you, you're not spending most of it, too, right? No, it's like room and board and like everything's covered. Right. So you're just making money. Mm. Um, which Maybe is. I should get on a cruise ship one of these days. Dude, I mean, if, if you can book it, it's also like, I mean, that that's the thing where like a lot of people get into it and then they like just do that. Right. Because it does become a lifestyle. Like my plan now, like if I'm like in my 50s and divorced, like start drinking again get a hawaiian shirt get on cruise ships hell yeah just just live that jimmy buffett lifestyle that margaritaville on the sea dude yeah. i mean because it's like um yeah because it's its own world where like even mm-hmm. a lot of the material you do is about being on cruise right like people don't want to hear about um living in new york city when they're right. on the cruise they're like yeah. no no we're on vacation we want vacation material right right, right? that's like what you're relating to them mm-hmm. about so it's even like it's like you're people doing bits about like buffet food and like it's like that's where like you're like oh if you can have like a solid 10 minutes on just like heat lamps you're, you're strong baby just that's when you know someone's working a lot of cruises yeah <laughs> bits about staring off into the nothingness of the ocean oh yeah that's not gonna hit they don't no. want that but if you have something about the unlimited drink package hell yeah that's that's awesome so ar- around this time are you when does your you mentioned that you got kind of got into storytelling while you were in Chicago and mm-hmm. then kind of branched out into stand up? When does the stand up comedy era start for you? For so I, I started doing stuff. I would say like my last year in Chicago. Okay, I started doing stand up. It was weird where I wasn't like I was like doing it, but I wasn't like, and I was starting to become more committed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't only doing that. So right. it's like I was kind of like doing like my foot was in a bunch of things where I was kind of like doing like storytelling improv sketch mm-hmm. um and then it wasn't until i like so i booked the cruise ship and then at the end of it i l- moved to new york okay so that was kind of my like oh, final chicago thing cool and, and it I wasn't made, even chicago <laughs> yeah so it's yeah. like i like booked in chicago and then like did the cruise ship and then when i got off i took an uber to the apartment like me and my then girlfriend nice like had gone that's cool um so it was a good like farewell thing yeah um and it was kind of like once i hit new york i was kind of like oh i'm gonna like start doing like focusing on stand-up mm. but also like i got here and i hadn't done stand-up in four months right right um so i was back to like zero mm-hmm. i was like wow i fucked myself hard <laughs> with like without even realizing i was like yeah. oh i'm gonna do all this like performing it's gonna be great and then it's like performing on cruise also that like experience is way different than like getting up at like uh pine box where it's a very specific vibe yeah where people are getting on stage and they like expect applause for being bisexual yeah right and then i'm like oh on a cruise ship you weren't allowed to be you, know? <laughs> you can't even say that word yeah, yeah it's called i'm straight and we're having fun <laughs> last i checked this is margaritaville and yeah. there, are, there are two genders in one section oh and we're <laughs> wasting away yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i do love it. Oh, margaritaville uh there are two genders yeah <laughs> <laughs> them's the rules jimmy and those buffett genders himself. are jimmy buffett and not jimmy buffett <laughs> so you, you you get to new york city 
You are vibe checked immediately, getting back into stand up square one. Yeah. You did you move to a place in Brooklyn or are you in Manhattan? Brooklyn. So I've lived okay. in Greenpoint my entire time. I love Greenpoint. Dude, it's like so it's like I mean, uh my like ex like was kind of like, Hey, we should look for a place in Greenpoint. It's like a cool neighborhood. And also she was like, And you're Polish. Yeah. I mean, I'm Polish American. So it's like Same. but also like I mean, I'm now I'm like going back to material about it. Where like I've I've been revisiting material from when I first started doing stand up in okay, New York because yeah. I'm like I'm like I like had writer's block like this last week, so mm-hmm. I was kind of like let me like watch old stuff and see if there are any like premises I still like, and then just like rework it. Yeah. Um, and it was like just material about being in Greenpoint. How it's like kind of it's like gentr it's like hipsters and Polish people. Yeah. So it's like. It's like it's my internal conflict. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. So Lee, when when I first met Lee and we started hanging out, she lived in Greenpoint. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was just certain game days, like it must like for various like soccer games or whatever in Europe. I remember all of Greenpoint just being red and white, Polish flags on everything. Oh yeah, I don't know if that's game. That's uh, like especially like, holidays. Maybe like, holidays. Yeah, it's like Pulaski Day. Okay, and, like, yeah, they're like. <laughs> Uh, dude, a Greenpoint doesn't fuck around when it comes to Polish holidays. Really, I love it. Where even Easter, it's like so. There's a deli right near my apartment that I love because it's like it's like a Polish deli, and you can tell like a Polish like bakery is like good if you like go in and they're upset you're ordering. Something. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, why the fuck are you in our business supporting us? Like, how dare you? How dare you come in here and give us money? That's so for funny. what we do. They say that uh, who you know Belton. Mm-hmm. He says that. So this is a Caribbean neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. And Lee asked Belton. She was like, Belton, how do you know that like a like a Jamaican or Caribbean place is really good? He's like, easy. They they're fucking mean to you. <laughs> they treat you like shit. One hundred percent agree. <laughs> I love that. That's what I look for. That's when you know you're having authentic food that's affordable. Yeah. It's like because they don't give a fuck about the experience. Yeah. They're like, dude, because Jamaican food's like one of my favorite things. Uh, cause, uh, on our farm, a lot of the guys were Jamaican. Mm. So like, I love like, dude, even now I'm like, after this, I'll ask you for Rex on like what the best places are. I get so excited when like, so especially walking here, I saw a couple where it's like, people have that like trash barrel black grill. Yeah. And then they're like, just grilling chicken. Something about street meat <laughs> makes me so excited. That place. That's actually where Lee works. The one with the outdoor the Seriously? outdoor grill yeah yeah she's okay. over there right then right now that's why i record at this time on saturday whoa okay <laughs> but yeah the food there the the chef he's uh he's nigerian but he he cooks like african food and like caribbean stuff it's all yeah. amazing dude yeah i mean it, and it's just like the flavor of like jerk chicken and like plantains and like oh my god it's crazy <laughs> but it's even like it was like from like going like jamaican plates like that too where like they also don't have a menu yeah right so <laughs> yeah. you kind of like you see stuff, and then I like don't even know. I'm just like I'm, I've got a twenty dollar bill, and we'll see how much. Yeah, this you ends can up I get being. that? And uh, what? Yeah, that give me that. Bad. And then yeah. they're like, "Do you want gravy?" I'm like, "What do you mean by gravy?" <laughs> and then she's like, "You want gravy?" Yeah, and then exactly. I'm like, "That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> that is what I needed right now." Hell yeah! But yeah, um, Greenpoint sick. Fucking love Greenpoint. It's beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a shame that's on the G. That's it. <laughs> Dude, you know what? People shit on the G. I think. Uh, I I haven't had that much of a problem with it. Like my, okay, so my it's late at night it can be brutal. Yeah. So my like my main G gripe is back in the day of the Creek and Cave when that mm-hmm. was around, right? Yeah. Leaving the 11 p.m. mic at like midnight oh, and having fucked. to wait like 25 minutes for a G, just like at that station, just like oh, I don't want to go home. <laughs> yeah. So the late night 25 minute wait that is brutal. Yeah. I'm also lucky where. I prefer walking if I can. Nice. Yeah. If the weather's good and stuff like that. And I live like what? Like a 
tw- 15, 20 minute walk from like an L stop. Oh, okay. So you're so kind of like, in that yeah. lower half. And then right? it's also like, it's like a quick transfer too. So it's like also yeah. like, I'm like probably like a 10, 15 minute bike ride from like Long Island City. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like if it's late at night, it's like a 25 minute wait for the train. I'm like, cool. Hop on a city bike. We'll just bike home. Yeah. If the weather's nice. nice. Um, so I don't I don't mind it. Yeah, you just kind of like work around it like anything where it's like people love shitting on the G and I'm like, dude, you're off the fucking shuttle. Get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> See, I, I feel like here we're just so spoiled because we're on an A stop. It's like express, whichever like you want to go all the way to Harlem. You want to go anywhere up or west side all the way through. You want to go to the village. Anything you could possibly want is on this express train. Yeah, that is nice. It's a luxury. But <laughs> yeah, if I have to ride like any of the numbered trains. I'm like, where does it even go? What is what's going on? Oh, there are trains where like, I mean, I also yeah, there there are certain trains where I'm like, I have no idea what this is. Like anything that's red, no way. Yeah, I'm like, I know from Manhattan, like the one, two, and three. Um, wow, I love how this quickly transitioned to being about living in New York (laughs) City transit. Um, but yeah, it's like, so I know it just from like connecting to it to like go to like stuff in Harlem. Yeah. But that's like my experience with it, Upper West Side, mm. Harlem. And then other than that, I'm like, if, it, <laughs> if there's a red train in Brooklyn, I'm like, I have no clue. None, none. <laughs> but yeah, so you move to Greenpoint, you get off the cruise ship, you hop into Greenpoint, you start doing stand up. What are your spots when you first start in the city? Where are you going? Uh, what mics are you hitting? When I first started, um, I was doing stuff. I feel like I, I did a lot of what did I do for open mics? I was kind of like hitting everything, trying to get mm. a feel for stuff. Um, I would do, I feel like I was doing a lot of like Brooklyn stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I also like had some connections from Chicago oh, okay. where it's like kind of like improv, like, cause also there was like a place, the annoyance theater had a New York theater space for like a couple of years. Okay. Um, but that was like, that shut down like right before I came out here, mm-hmm. of course. Um, so then I was kind of like. It's like connections from Chicago and like improvisers, if they're doing like stand up and stuff like that, it's more in the like alt scene. Right. Okay. So they're not working clubs. Mm-hmm. They're kind of doing a little more character stuff, a little more absurd, whatnot. Um, so I was doing that. But then also it's like I have that like middle ground where I'm like, it's like I like I love absurd improv, stuff like that. I also love a great dick joke. Like, I mean, like <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like you can't top like David Tell for like just like fucking classic, mm-hmm. like straight ahead. Um, so it's like that finding that middle ground of being like, oh yeah, how do I have that like sophomore humor that like kind of like is what got me started right, right, in performing from like writing stories when I was in like high school and stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, to translate to like different rooms and stuff like that. So it's right. kind of like, yeah, Try I love get it's, back in touch with those roots, dude. Yeah. It's fun doing like a late night set where it's like a rowdy crowd that's drunk and you're like, oh, I have to talk about my dick. Because yeah. if I don't, they will not. They will not care. It's it's like honestly, sometimes it's so liberating. I one thing I notice is all comedians will say their jokes are just dick jokes. Where most comedians don't even have actual dick jokes. Yeah. It's just in our mind, we're like we're just being disruptive and rude. It's all dick jokes up here. But I wrote a dick joke this year, and this is like probably like I I had a dick joke for a long time. I used, but this is like my latest one. And it's, I got a new, uh, like crowd work, like who had new year's resolution, stuff like that. And I'm like, Oh yeah, my, my 22, 22 new year's resolution was to start calling my pecker, my hog. (laughs) It's so dumb, but it always crushes. Cause it's so stupid. And it's like vulgar. (laughs) And people are like, Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. But it's also, it's not 
right? So it's like yeah. stuff like that. That's more of a joke about like people naming their dicks, yeah. right? So it's like that's where like I learned like it's like dick jokes can be funny if it's not actually about your dick. Yeah. Right. If it's about like conversations and stuff like that yeah. around it. Um, I love how this switch from transit talk to dick talk. Yeah. Hell um, yeah. But um, <laughs> that's comedy, baby. It's the yeah. industry. <laughs> so it's like it, it's funny. We're like, yeah, it's just if you if you're talking about like it's like whenever people are like it's like when you like that classic trope of like, oh, like it's like I'm responsible. My dick gets me in trouble. Like right, that type yeah. of thing where it's it's talking about how like kind of hormones and stuff like that. Mm. But like then you hear people get on stage like at like open open mics. You hear everything. Right. Right. Um, it is the real world fortune. Right. Yeah. Like it's like <laughs> you'll see like people. It's free speech. Yeah. Baby. You are hearing white people say the N word and then <laughs> being like, what you what you don't think I'm funny. Yeah, dude. We, I was at one uh, a mic. I was hosting uh, a couple months ago. A guy did like such a racist impression of like a Chinese woman taking his takeout order. Yeah. That all of us at the open mic were like, dude. And like I went up on stage, I was hosting. I was like, don't do that again. We'd go a couple more comics. The mic ends. He is like standing his ground so hard to like be like, this shit would kill. This would, this would kill with audience and stuff. We're like, you should stop. <laughs> well, I mean, even that, it goes back to what we were saying about yeah. like people like not being open to hearing stuff. Yeah. Right. So it's like, even in his mind, he's like, he probably grew up on some comedian in the seventies. Yeah. Who like was doing a bunch of, or like maybe that's like probably what makes his friends laugh. Yeah. Or whatnot. It was, um, cause was his friends crazy. are problematic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he goes, he goes, and he goes to David, my co-host David Dobbins, right? He goes, he goes, I'm from Minnesota. You're from Minnesota. You understand how it is out there. And David's, Ooh. Dude, yeah, I love when people group that in. Yeah. White people trying to make you be racist too. <laughs> like, I had that. Uh... I had that once at a halal cart. I was like waiting for like food, and the guy in front of me. It was like uh, two like Middle Eastern dudes like working mm -hmm. the cart, and then the dude in front of me was like having some conversation. I like showed up like midway through the conversation, mm -hmm. and then he was like, "It's like, what do you mean you guys aren't brothers, right?" And then he he turned to me. He's like, he's like, they look the same, right? They look no. the same, and these guys were pissed off. And I'm just like, I was like, uh, no, I'm like, like, like <laughs> it's like, I, I, don't make me a part of this. Yeah, like, right. Don't this is your, this, this is your fight. <laughs> this is, this is all you. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, those those situations are the worst. Mm -hmm. uh, you, I love like. There's one thing when you're at a comedy show and a comic tells like a butt clenching joke for the audience. It's another thing where you're an open mic and all the open mic comedians are like. <sighs> There's not even an audience here. Jesus Christ. Dude, if you like <laughs> shot, if open micers are like, whoa, you said something fucked up. Yeah. Where everyone's like, Jesus. And because we've heard it all. Yeah, we've seen right. it all. I've seen people act out. Oh, my They're God. Like, you, you've heard everyone's porn preferences in detail. And like, it's insane how they would. Yeah. There's people who uh, the, their sets are porn Hitler jokes and like some like. There's like these other topics, and if people do enough of them in their set, I'll go up after them. Like, you just hit open mic bin bingo. You hit all the topics. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what sucks is they're great topics. Yeah. Because <laughs> I even have it where I'm like, ooh, a lot of people are doing Hitler stuff, but. Oh, who is it? Oh, uh, Bobby Sheehan. Do you know him? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so he was at a mic this week. He has a joke like, if you go back in time to kill Hitler, then you're going to come back to the future and be like, be like you just killed a baby why didn't you kill the guy who stopped the holocaust because hitler would never exist i don't know i was like that was really good for a hitler joke <laughs> oh i mean here's the thing people do good jobs of it it's just yeah. like especially like territory like that it's like i mean it's the idea of like like shocking stuff especially 
I don't know if it's like just guys. Like maybe it's like guys are just more dr- drawn towards like that material. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like what you're interested in. There's something about shocking where like even like when I was like first starting, I would do like some character pieces and like write some like stories like when I like first started in Chicago where like it was like just like offensive shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. But like there was something about like it, it's especially when you're starting to learn how to perform. It's like shock is the easiest way in the door because you're not funny yet. You're not that good as a performer. You don't really know what you're saying or talking about, but you're getting an audience reaction. Right, right. Right. So you're like learning how to like because performing is like manipulating the audience. Yeah. Right. So it's like that's why we're all psychopaths. Yeah. Because it's just <laughs> us being like you're like, I mean, the amount of times I say I talked to my dad today to set yeah. up a joke. And it's like I'm just lying. Yeah. I'm yeah. simply lying because it somehow saying it was something immediate draws people's attention in. They're like, mm. it draws, like, subconsciously draws your attention. Oh, he's talking to his dad today. Oh, now he's talking about his dad. That makes yeah. sense, because you talked to him earlier Pulling today. Pulling the old, I was on the way here, and I was thinking about, you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, on my way over here, I saw this person. Uh, I'm like, and definitely like, not true. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> You've been doing that joke for five years. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, it's like, I think it's just material, things you think about, and, like, that shock value. Mm-hmm. There's something where you're like, oh, that, like, like you're like that's like something where people have to pay attention and they have to notice and they have to react so it's easy to like get drawn into that and especially with like open mics when you start it's like we were saying with um when you first start it's like your first taste of humor is what makes your friends laugh right right and what makes the people around you laugh so when you're at open mics you're gauging everything based on audience feedback Mm mm-hmm but the audience at an open mic is a bunch of like straight white dudes probably who are into dick jokes and fucked up material. Yeah. So it's like you do a joke about blackface and they're laughing because that's what they're drawn towards with like a dark sensibility. Mm-hmm. Then you do that to a regular audience and you're like, you just did a blackface <laughs> rape joke. <laughs> you're insane. Oh my God. Yeah. Do, do you remember, did you ever go to Jimmy Peoples, Mike, before the pandemic? Yeah. Oh my God, dude. I only did the, the weekend one a few times, but I remember that room being so hard because all of your material would bomb, but if you were having like a mental breakdown on set on stage, people were into it. It would kill. And yeah. I was like, this is backwards. <laughs> well, I'll I'll do like there's like a quick like gauge check I'll do for like open mics mm-hmm. where if it is a mic that's like predominantly like straight white dudes, mm-hmm. um, if I just like if if nothing's working and I just point at someone like, what are you gay? Right. And people laugh. I'm like, oh, throw this whole mic out. Like, yeah, like this is you didn't get a gauge on any material. Yeah. It's like why people like you have to like start at open mics because it's the only way to get on stage. And you basically have to just figure out how to get comfortable bombing on stage. Yeah. Right. Where it's like because when you first I mean, there's a reason they call bombing. Yeah. Right. Because when you first do it and it's that feeling of like getting up and getting no laughs and like this whole high pressure thing, you leave and you are like shaking. Yeah. It's like we said before, where it's like people need to say that it's their like first time doing stand up. Yeah. Because you are like, you leave the stage and you're like, oh my God, everyone gives a fuck. And like, I, I just ruined it. These people all hate me. And you have this like self-loathing, but it's all in your head. Yeah. No one even listened to your set. Right. Exactly. Right. It's like, no one really cares. It's just, you have to get comfortable enough on stage. Mm-hmm. And somehow, I mean, it's like when people like stick around is like, you get enough positive feedback, even as you're bombing where mm-hmm. they're like, hey, that's not working. But like, hey, uh, it's nice to see you again. Or like just right, just yeah. people acknowledging like, hey, I see you're working at this, yeah, and you're trying. It's the same at the gym where it's like mm. no one's like mad at someone at the gym for being out of shape, mm-hmm. right? It's like um, it's like because they're like trying to get into it. You're like trying to get in shape, right? 
you're like, cool. Well, I hope you like stick to it and like work and like see what works for you and like stick to your diet and stuff mm. like that. So you get, or even just like you get what you want out of this. Right. Right. Like no one's upset if you're just like, you're like, oh, I don't really like want a six pack. I'm just like trying to like, I'm, it's, I want to die of a heart attack. Yeah, exactly. You're like, yeah, dude, that's a great goal. <laughs> You don't have to go to the gym just to, like, be, like, a fucking bodybuilder. Exactly. It's like, you can go just being like, oh, yeah, no, this access to a treadmill, and I have mm. kids now, and I want to yeah. see them graduate. <laughs> I, I started taking that same approach with um, with open mics for the most part. Because mm-hmm. I think when I first started, right, open mics about, like, figuring it out, figuring out your how to be funny, like, how to be on stage, how to bomb, all these things, right? And now I'm at the point with open mics where open mics are, I am not, con- like, because people know me, like you're in the same situation, mm-hmm. no one is going to look at one of your open mic performances and be like, he sucks. You know, yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. think about that anymore because you're so far into it and you're like in the comedy scene. People know you. So I go to open mics now and I'm like, I am only working on new shit. I'm going to try some brand new stuff. It's if it bombs, it bombs. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm going to, if it, if I run, if I have a bunch of time left, I'll riff on something. Like, mm-hmm. we'll just see how it goes. If it sucks, whatever. Cause. You just get used to it. Well, you learn to use it as a tool exactly. and not the end goal. Exactly. Where it's like once you can start doing shows and stuff, you start getting real audience reaction. And you're like, oh, wait, people like puns. Yeah. People like hearing. There's a reason everyone ha- like most people have jokes about dating. It's because that's a universal experience, especially in New York City. <laughs> right. Where it's even like you're talking about going on a date and you're using details from your own life. Mm hmm observations from it to talk about a universal experience of trying to find a connection with another person that's romantic yeah right so it's like so that's material where people are instantly drawn in mm. like even though like i mean ever comics love making fun of it but there's a reason so many people lead into material going like dating's weird who's on the apps yeah it's like yeah because you're about to talk about the intricacies and the weird things that people respond to mm. and the weird things people say yeah and like all the like cultural norms that surround it. And you're mm-hmm. like, isn't it odd that we do this instead of that? Yeah. Like, whatever. <laughs> if if comedy was like in the med- medieval times, they had stand up. They would just be like, "Who's been to the town square today?" And all the comedians would be like, "Oh, the town square bits." <laughs> like, <laughs> same deal. It's like the thing. Unfortunately, the thing is, is that we all can agree on the dating thing. That's something that everyone yeah. is going through or has gone through at some point. It's just. Right down the middle. Or it's like, what what are like concerns or like things that like everyone has in their life? And it's like your own take on your own experience with it. But it's like family, Mm. jobs, date, like dating, um, global health crisis, global health (laughs) crisis. Well, even now it's like, I, um, yeah. So I think it's like kind of stuff that people like, no matter what your cultural background is, people can connect Mm -hmm. with. Absolutely. That's like, I think that's, and that's everyone has that in them. It's just like, especially when you start, you're starting way out in the left field and you just got to find your way to like, oh, now I'm relatable and I have that broad appeal. You know, everyone yeah. goes through that. Or even just being comfortable enough where like if an audience doesn't laugh at something, you're like, in the, you can at least you're comfortable enough on stage where you can acknowledge that they're not connecting with you. Yeah, I've right? po- so- I, <laughs> I pointed out a guy a couple of shows ago, get on stage. I'm doing a couple bits and he's looking at me like this. And I go, I just stop and go, you hate me, don't you? <laughs> Everyone laughed and I ended up doing like some crowd work with him. Total safe. It was amazing. But yeah. I was like, yeah, I just 
whatever I was doing before, not for you, but you're down with me talking about your Valentine's Day or whatever, you know? Dude, I'll do it sometimes if I'm doing, like, a bar show that's just, like, no one's having fun on stage, and then you go up. I'll, like, sometimes I'll go up on stage. I'm doing it more and more now. It's, like, probably something I need to figure out a different way to approach (laughs) it. But, like, I'll just be like, are we good? (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Are we we good? It's, that's such a power move, because you come up, and then suddenly you're just the voice of reason, immediately relatable to all the audience, where it's like, like, oh, he he knows what's going on here. And then you can kind (laughs) of check in, and then you're kind of like, are, are we good? With, yeah. Like, and then people like notably have to like kind of nod and like agree to be good. Yeah, <laughs> and like at the very least, and then if someone's not, mm-hmm. they're kind of like, "What's happening?" Like, because yeah. it's already going to be a problem. Yeah, right. So you're like, you're like, we're going to have to address this sooner or later. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather it be now at the top of a set when we can like try to like move into material yeah. or find a way to like move stuff. Like, as opposed to like halfway through my set being like, "What's wrong?" Yeah, like, <laughs> or you get off stage like because. Dude, I've had it. I'm like, I've had it where like I've done shows and I'm like, I'm like, nothing worked. What happens? And then the next comic goes up and like they do a little crowd work and you're like, oh, the entire audience was from Sweden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did I not check yeah. in with them? Yeah, to like figure that out. Um, it's so necessary. <laughs> so you even have to do it where like in in just having that casual nature, especially if it's like you're at a random room where it's like somehow an international crowd, yeah, or something like that. Where you're just like, I need to like at least know you're international. Yeah. Because then also it's like people, everyone knows that dynamic of like, I'm living in New York. You're from Sweden. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's like, if I'm doing a bit about chopped cheese. Yeah. It's like, what? Like, it's tough. I, we, we have, because of like where our show is, we will get international people just randomly. And uh, we had this German couple one set and they're, we were like, how'd you guys find out the show? And he's like, oh, my godfather recommended it. We're visiting for the week. Man, they were they were at, at like the back of their seat the whole show. Like people were trying to talk to them and stuff and yeah. do jokes. They hated it. They like smiled, but they hated it. Then I talked to my German neighbor. And I was like, yeah, we had this German couple at the show. And they just like didn't connect. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, that makes sense. He's like, Germans do not understand American humor. He's like, when German comedians come to America, they're like, why aren't the Americans laughing? And I'm like, okay, so clearly this is just like, we don't line up in our cultural norms of what a joke is. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really fascinating. It's a some fun and hard to work over, you know. Oh yeah, and you also have to. Here's the thing. It's like what's nice is we're both at a point where we understand. It's like based on cultural differences. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's like it's like when you first start doing comedy, you don't have the experience or the knowledge mm-hmm. to be like, oh, they're laughing because they're German. Yeah. Like, it's like <laughs> yeah. oh no no they just like or even like oh they have a totally different sensibility yeah or it's like if you're talking to someone they're like they're like i love gallagher yeah <laughs> and you're like oh this is gonna be interesting yeah we'll see what's relatable <laughs> like and that's not me shane yeah. like gallagher's like old stuff like i love like old school like prop comedy mm-hmm. and like stuff that's very visual it's just a different muscle and it's a different right. way of approaching getting a laugh mm-hmm. it's the same way like improv is different than storytelling it's different like like, I've done it, and you learn it from, like, doing, like, variety shows or even, yeah. like, music, like, open mics and stuff like that, where, like, you, you have to, like, check in, mm-hmm. right? It, because people are just, like, confused, and oh, they're like, yeah. oh, they don't know. We do stand-up every night, so we're used to what stand-up's supposed to be. Yeah. But they don't know yet. Dude, the mixed mics, like, music, poetry, whatever you want, open mics, 
I always get frustrated when I go to those because mm-hmm. a stand-up comedy open mic is such a well-oiled machine. It's like we all show up, we all sign up, we all have our five-minute spot. You get lit at four, get off the stage, next person up, go, go, go. Mm-hmm. Mixed mics will be like, all right, guys, uh, come up next. We got a comedian. I'll give it for them. And you do your set. And then I had one where after my set, I was like, okay, I'm done. And everyone clapped. And the host just sat down. She just kept sitting there. And she goes, we're just going to take like a 15-minute break and we'll keep going. I was like, come on. The time is money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's we only, we're like hyper aware of that because so much of it is based on audience feedback. Yeah. So we like know, we like you just learn what to and not to do. Yep. Or like what's needed and not needed. Yep. Where like I've become just like a fucking psycho where people are like, I'm like, if people are talking about doing a show or something like that, or you're talking to a venue mm-hmm. about doing a new show, um, I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. Like if they suggest something, I'm like, or I, I mean, I tried like, like yeah. be a little nicer about <laughs> it, but uh, I'll be like, it's like, oh, I understand what you're saying, but like, uh, that's not going to help the comedy. So what if we approach it a different way? Right. Like, yeah. You have, you have to also lay down your ground where it's like, it's like, I would rather just not do the show here. Yeah. <laughs> than do a bad show. Right with you were like and i get what you're coming from you're like oh yeah let's like do an intermission halfway through you're like actually it takes time to warm up the crowd and build momentum so yeah. if we do an intermission it actually like really fucks over the performers for the second half yeah because we basically have to just start again yeah you let the audience get cold and confused and then they're now halfway through conversations mm-hmm. it's like if we were doing this podcast then suddenly someone's like hey the show's starting we're like whoa we we're just talking <laughs> yeah exactly we're catching up like mm. Um, so you just kind of learn what needs to be what a yeah. show needs. It needs to be isolated. Ideally, it's an audience that knows the show's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, no and, restaurants, <laughs> and it's people who like made an agreement to be part of the show. Yeah, like you need that like consent of like it's like that's why a lot of people talk about if you're running like a bar show, it's the difference between like if you're doing like a a loose show that's like weekly it's mm. like the difference between charging and a free show yeah because in new york a lot of people will do free shows but then there's kind of that understanding it's like you should charge like at least five dollars because it adds value to the show mm. and people have to pay money so they're like agreeing to commit to attending right. and enjoying the show right they're like i paid five dollars i'm gonna like even if i'm not like enjoying it i'm like i'm gonna stay here because i paid five dollars yeah yep <laughs> or i mean not everyone's like that frugal but mm. I do. We do donation at ours. Ours is free. We ask for donations at the end with mm-hmm. like via the like, QR codes. Not a committal audience. <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot of ebb and flow, and that yeah, can be yeah. good for getting people in. But then if you have like one comic who like just doesn't connect with them or something, they're kind of like, oh wait, we're in New York City. Like I can just leave and we go can to the bar go, downstairs. Yeah. Like, I, th- I think Seinfeld's down the street. Oh, there, there, there's literally a room where we can go and dance instead of listening to these people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I could try to get late. Yeah. <laughs> instead of hearing someone else talk about how they can't get late. Like, yeah. <laughs> so you've actually we're kind of down to our last little like maybe twenty minutes here. Yeah. So you you you've got two shows right now you're running uh yeah producing uh two shows so you have one that's uh you have one that you do with bobaloo and grop yep and that one's waterline mm-hmm. and you guys just moved that right so it's at a couple locations we have monthly fourth monday of every month right now i mean who knows when you're listening yeah. to this podcast um at comedy shop mm-hmm. um and then we've also been doing like a monthly at this place called the atlantic okay which is a jazz club in downtown Brooklyn. Nice. Which is really fun. And the people cool. there are great. Yeah. That's awesome. I'll 
I would love to go check that one out. Yeah. That's sick. Um, yeah. Uh, for that, uh, check out uh, it's Waterline uh, on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. It's like in my profile. Okay. I, I wasn't sure if you guys, because I saw you had like a new spot. I wasn't sure if that was back in like Seaport where you guys started or if it was no. somewhere else. So okay. that show started during the pandemic. Both the shows I produce now, I mean, they started during the pandemic because mm. everything changed and yeah, you had to yeah. like kind of like adapt. Um, so Waterline started uh, at Cowgirl Seahorse mm. in Seaport right near the Brooklyn Bridge. So it was like mm. the sidewalk. And it was like, cool, but it's also like a sidewalk show. Yeah. So like, it's like <laughs> visually it was awesome, but then also like people would walk in front of performers. Oh yeah. All the time. <laughs> Dude. Okay. So that show was crazy where it was kind of like peak pandemic comedy mm-hmm. where like, I still talk to like Aton Levine about this every yeah. time I see him. Cause I was performing and, so when you're performing, it's one of the reasons why, like, as a performer, it's like during the pandemic, you had to kind of adapt and perform wherever you could. Right. In a way that was like kind of COVID safe. So an audience would feel safe enough to like attend and like, right. enjoy the show. Um, but ideally, comedy, you want a small, dark room mm. where people are crammed together. You're a little uncomfortable because then you have to like stay attentive. Yeah. And pay attention to the performer. And ideally, if uh, colder over warm mm. room temperature, yeah. if it's colder, it's better. Interesting. That makes sense. Because if it gets warm, then people get tired. Right. And they don't give as much. Mm. Um, It's like the episode of The Wire where, like, they have you ever seen The Wire? Mm -hmm. So there's an episode of The Wire where it's like a teacher being like, hey, it's like it's 100 degrees outside and the heater's on. And the principal comes in. They're like, oh, yeah, we do that on purpose. So the kids are too tired to, like, act out. <laughs> it's like, if we don't do that, it's, it, like, cuts down on the number of fights. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is, like, a problem. Yeah. So it's just demonstrating yeah. the, like, issues school have and, like, trying to curb, like, behavior and stuff. So for comedy, you want small, dark, cold. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it helps set up success. Right. But during the pandemic, you were performing outside. Or even we had a show. It was right next to the Brooklyn Bridge. And it was on a sidewalk. And so I get up on the show and like immediately seven fire trucks drive by. Yep. Yep. Right. And like, so the the pandemic really taught you, you just have to like riff on stuff and be like, my set's out the window. Yep. Right. So I'm riffing on the seven fire trucks, whatever. And then I'm like, cool, that's over. I'll get into my material. And then a couple ambulances drive by. Yep. And then a couple more fire trucks drive by. So I'm like, I'm like, we're still with the fire trucks. A helicopter starts hovering above yeah. where I'm performing. <laughs> it's like, and you, you can't, you can barely hear me. The helicopter so yeah. loud yeah. <laughs> with the hovering. And yeah. this is like, not even like for the few, first few minutes. I'm like, okay, this will be over. Whatever. It keeps going. Yeah. Keeps going. Keeps going. And then I hit a point where I'm like, the fire trucks are now at the end of the street. Mm-hmm. Lights on. It's like the most distracting thing possible. Yeah. There's no, I can't even focus on trying to like do jokes. Cause I'm like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> and then I found out after my set, there was an active Brook jumper on the Brooklyn bridge. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think Bo told me about this, that like yeah. they like, you noticed it and then you're like, Okay, how do we how do we do a finish a comedy show with, now that we know what the situation is? Well, yeah. So that the end of my set was I think I had some line where it was like all the fire trucks and the helicopter, and I said something along the lines of like there better be a terrorist attack happening because <laughs> this is insane. Oh my god! And then someone's like, someone who worked at the restaurant was like, it's a jumper, and then I was like, and that's my time. Thank you guys. <laughs> like, and then I just like left because I was like, there. Also, I like I didn't even see the light. I was like, I was just trying to figure out what was going on. Um, and it was so chaotic, but the, the Brooklyn bridge jumpers all the time. Yeah. Apparently I've, I've had a couple times where I wanted to cross. Yeah. Where I've jumped 
where we wanted to cross. And they're like, nope, everyone off the bridge. Go to the Manhattan Bridge and cross over. Okay. See, okay. So this was like, my question is like, I'm like, why would you, you, you can't, if you, you hear about a jumper on the Brooklyn Bridge, you don't worry about the jumper. You're like, oh, the Brooklyn Bridge, right? So it's like kind of detrimental to like killing yourself, isn't it? Like, because <laughs> like if, if I'm going to kill myself, I want the story to be about me dying. Mm, okay. Right. But if you do it at a landmark, people are like, oh, did you, can you believe someone killed themselves at the Empire State Building? <laughs> I'm like, pick a building no one's killed themselves on yet. Yeah. Be original. There you go. Because <laughs> then people are like, oh, yeah, that's where Tony Sikowski took his life. <laughs> That that three story restaurant in Greenpoint. Yeah, no, I mean that's why I'm about to murder myself here right now. Oh, okay, yeah, there's roof access. You can get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and then your other show though, the other show is up in Greenpoint. Pipe up, right? You're still doing that yep. one. Nice. So that's at a a weed shop or a yeah. Delta Eight shop or is it a full weed shop? So it's so right now work. the like it's it's you can't just call it a head shop. It's a weed shop yeah. basically. Um, it's just legally right now there's so much gray area with mm. like licensing and stuff like that. So they were selling. Delta and like CBD flour and like CBD products because that's legally what you could sell in New York. Right. Um, but now that weed's legal, it's this like gray area where like people are starting to get licenses. So mm. as soon as they can sell weed, they will. Right. Um, it's just the uh, government regulation isn't there yet. Mm. So it's like confusing. But uh, yeah, so our show, um, that show's been really fun. I also show's fucking sick. Really. It, what's really fun about it is it's just like a very like chill, casual vibe, mm-hmm. but people are into it yeah like so it's like you have an audience that's there and like everyone who gets a ticket for it like gets like a free like cbd flyer pre-roll mm. then also this season we also have a sponsor flyers cocktails which are cbd cocktails Ooh. that have no alcohol in them but they're like designed to be reminiscent of alcohol so they have like a margarita mm. and they have one that's like more of like a bourbon cocktail that's fun that's so, cool so ever so it's nice where like somehow we've been set up in like stephanie who runs hemp lab nyc um if you're looking for stuff it's like if you're also just trying to like learn more about smoking weed and stuff like that you just go in and people they're like know what they're talking about yeah, yeah it's yeah. not some random fucking bodega where they're yeah. trying to like trick you into buying shit <laughs> um and so people show up and they're like we have a great comedy show and they get free shit yeah it's like was there it's a like huge win i mean i even had it where i was talking to one comic who's like because we've been lucky and like it does pr- pretty good and we mm. get like pretty good turnout for yeah. like most our shows um and a comic was like hey how do you like get like how do you get people to the show i'm like we're giving them drugs yeah, <laughs> yeah. it really helps yeah because there are also other clubs where it's like also um i heard this from rachel williams who's like a good friend mm-hmm. and a comic who's great she runs a show uh foul mouth comedy with uh jessica uh jesse fitz now okay. i think is uh what she's calling herself jessica love and jesse oh, fitz. Just, I don't okay know. yeah um and they run a show at a brewery in Greenpoint mm. called Greenpoint Beer and Ale. Foul mouth comedy. Great show. Um, and Rachel was telling me, she was like, oh, yeah, I've had people come up to me after the show. And like people are intimidated by the idea of a comedy club. Yeah. Because like kind of like it's because they haven't been before. And the expectation is a comic's going to get off stage and just roast you. Yeah. For Everyone's showing so up and support it. <laughs> right. So they yeah. think it's just going to be like a fucking polish bakery right where they're just like it's like why the fuck how dare you come to a comedy show dressed like a normal human being yeah oh you're on a date i'm gonna make you guys try to break up right so like people have that like weird fear of like being like attacked um so having the ability to see comedy in a different environment or like stand up in a different way yeah is like appealing to people because it's like they're familiar with like greenpoint beer and ale or they're familiar with like hemp lab nyc or they're just like a stoner. So we get a lot of like yeah. stoners who come out to the show because they're like, I love smoking weed. 
This is a show where we can smoke weed mm. and experience something that we like. So yeah. it's like kind of like a Venn diagram of like your two favorite things. It's a great show. I mean, I like I, I haven't been this year, but like last year when I was going to your show a little bit, like the audience just so down. They're just so dude, they're chill. just down. I, dude, I was so bummed because you gave me that spot and I like bombed. <laughs> oh, I, I, I bombed. It was weird, though, because this is the first one that's ever happened to me. I for sure bombed the first half of my set. And then by the end, I had like saved a little bit. And so I walked off stage and I was confused. I was like, is that the first time I've ever saved a set in my life? But <laughs> yeah, so, it was still fun. It was a great show. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, so it's like it's like a good chill vibe, like. I say the word chill too much in describing that. That's, it's the only way to describe it. Cause like you get out there into the backyard and everyone is just like hanging out with their friends, just smoking these CBD pre-rolls. And it's yeah. like, it's a good vibe. Yeah. So it, it works out. And I like it cause it's like a different type of environment where it's like another way to like see your material in a different way. Yeah. Also we're lucky where it's like a show like that, where it's like kind of the appeal is the weed, right. Yeah. Or like the idea that you can smoke during it. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause it's outdoors. It's in a backyard. So people can just like smoke throughout the entire show. Right. Um, and it attracts a diverse audience. Yeah. So it's like, I have to make sure I, that's the show I probably put the most. I mean, I try to make sure every show I like am a producer on or associate mm. with is like, has at least some diversity as yeah. best you can. It could be tough with booking schedules and stuff like that, but just having the mentality like, Oh, we should try, try to be diverse. Yeah. Is a huge step. I think mm. that's what people want. Where like, it doesn't always happen. Yeah. Just cause of like situations mm. um but that show i like have to have a diverse audience because like we have a diverse audience so i have to have diverse performers mm. um so it's like I'm, i try to make sure i'm like cool i'm like it's like we have like a lot of black audience members too so i'm like cool i need like at least two black comics on every mm. show um just because it like you said it makes people feel more comfortable yeah and it's nice just hearing the different perspective <laughs> where it's like there's even yeah. a difference between being a white stoner and a Blackstone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm saying this all up, like, yeah. classic, like, early 90s, late 80s. Like, it's like, white stoners smoke like this. Yeah. But you're from Colorado, so there's, like, the hippie stoner culture, and then there's also, like, uh, smoking with your black friends. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it. the weed culture in Colorado is, like, it's honestly kind of annoying. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's if like, it hits a certain level. It, like, I, I was in college when... Uh, weed became uh, recreationalized. Yeah. And I was at CU Boulder. And when the verdict hit the news, kids were running out of their dorms cheering in the quad. And it was for the next like three or four years. It was just insanity. It was like weed all the time. Everyone's talking about weed. Everyone's moving to the state for weed. It was just like it was just such a wild time. But it got to the point where I was like, all right, I don't want to hear about weed. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's too much. Also, that was was that the first state? Yeah, For, first rec state. Yeah, where you could where you could just buy it with no med card or anything like that. Yeah, so there's also like you guys were the ground zero or like the like mm. first example of it happening. Where now it's yeah. like Massachusetts is. I mean, a lot of states have legalized it. New York yeah. now legalized it, but Massachusetts legalized it a few years ago. Mm. So, like, basically, people use Colorado and, like, the issues that came up with that. And, like, you're growing and adapting to, like, change regulation. And I was honestly, like, I was a big stoner for a long time. I haven't smoked in, like, four years. But during this period of my life, I was Mm -hmm. definitely more of a stoner. And it was, like, really cool to see how well they did it. Because it was like, wait, we just legalized it. And then we just didn't have to really change much because the laws were, like, well thought out. And it worked. It was, like, crazy. Because, like... 
there was definitely like fear mongering from like Kansas and Nebraska and Oklahoma or like, oh, there are people are going to be smuggling weed into our states and all this. And it was like, but you were you're in Denver and you're like, no, everything is literally the same way it was before. There are just uh, a new there's just a new type of job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's just more uh, more tax revenue. Exactly. And more things for people to enjoy. It's like because I remember. Yeah, it's like uh, when it first like got legalized, people were like, oh, my God, there's so many weed stores now. It's like there's a package store at every corner. Yeah. People are like, you can like there's a liquor store every like five blocks. Mm-hmm. So what if there's also a weed store like doing exactly. the exact? What's the difference? They're both things that like uh, inebriate you yeah, like, exactly. in different ways. So it's like if that's your criticism, then you should also not want as many liquor stores. Yeah. Exactly. So it's uh, yeah, it's the same thing. I should start a comedy show in the back of like a cigar lounge. <laughs> Dude, people have done it. I, I bet yeah, that would be bet. fun. But it's also it would be a very specific type of clientele or even because my family grows tobacco for really? wrapping cigars. So it's broadleaf Connecticut Valley broadleaf tobacco. That's crazy. So is, is it true you can't touch the leaves with your bare hands? No, that's okay. Someone, idiotic. Someone told me that this week. They're like, yeah, the tobacco leaves have so much nicotine on them that if you touch them, you'll get sick. No, that's not true okay. at all. All right, cool. That person is insane. <laughs> you smoke a cigar by touching the tobacco leaf. That's I didn't like, think about that. I didn't think about that. It's but wrapped yes, in tobacco. Yeah, yeah. But you do, your hands do get covered in a lot of tar. Yeah. Um. So it is like, I mean, when we were working in the field, we wear gloves. Yeah, yeah. Because you're basically, it's, you're, it's, your hand looks like a Major League Baseball bat. Oh, wow. Like, by the end of it. Like, mm. if you, like, go... And it and it's like really hard to get off. It it is very sticky. It's like having resin all yeah. over your hands. Yeah. Um. So, but that's like people that smoke cigars are like still doing well. Yeah. So it's like there were a couple of years where like growing up, I mean, because tobacco is like the big cash crop, right? For right, like right. my family's farm, um, because people like actually people like things that are bad for you, like yeah, that, and they're fun. <laughs> also, if it's addictive, that helps. Yeah. Okay. Hey, tomatoes, <laughs> take a note. Okay. <laughs> You know, maybe you should uh, make people have to smoke you and I like every like few months be like, oh, man, I mean, tomatoes again. <laughs> the thing that tomatoes are missing is a buzz, actually. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. But um, tomato plants also have a little bit of tar. Oh, really? When you're working with them. This makes sense. Yeah. They kind of like I feel like a lot of plants, especially in their leaves, has like kind of like those little needles and like resiny goo on the outside. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like it's filled with stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Tony, this has been amazing. I have one final question for you before we wrap up. What do you love about comedy? Um, I mean, I love the challenge where every time you're like writing something new, you're like, oh, this will never work. And then somehow it like comes around or I mean, it, it's all the, the challenge where there's like always something else to talk about or another like project mm-hmm. to like get involved with. All, I mean, okay. Then also, I would say I love, in a weird way, I love stand-ups. Hmm. Because we are total fucking psychos, and everyone's so fucking broken yeah. in, like, weird different ways. Where, like, even last night, I was, like, at, like, um, a party. And uh, I party. No. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was talking to someone, and they were just, like, I was, like, oh, you work, like, a day job, and that's your entire life. It was, like, the most boring, mundane conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's because I'm like spoiled by talking to comedians where you're like, oh, how's your week? They're like, oh, I just got out of the psych ward. And you're like, <laughs> tell me about it. And they're like, I would, but I'm working on a new bit about it. So yeah. like, I'm going to like, so it's like this, they're like, it's just everyone's so extreme and everyone, and it's such a d- diverse voice personality. Same way we're right. talking about like audiences being different. Like, it's like the comedians you meet where it's like, you, I, I know comics who have been in prison. 
I know comics who are virgins at 30. Like, it's like, there's <laughs> yeah. like so many different perspectives on the world mm-hmm. and so many different people. And you're all like under this collective umbrella of this like shared enjoyment of this experience of like getting up and like performing for two Germans who don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this weird, it's like an addiction. We all have the same addiction and then mm-hmm. like drive of like performing. Yeah. Where like a lot of the stories we told about bombing, like most sane people would be like, Oh yeah, no, we're done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we're like, we're like, oh no, I I want more of that. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy behavior, especially like when you start stand up, you will bomb. And the people who are stand ups now bombed a lot and still every day thought, I gotta do that again. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can do better. I can do better. Like there, there's that weird drive and something that motivates you mm. while you're making no money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where it's like i mean it's even like people who i mean it's people with tv credits who like do the like can uh are lucky enough to do comedy like full time mm-hmm. will still do free bar shows yeah yeah and like just because they're like oh i have to get up tonight people with insane credits will dm my show account and i'm like you don't even know what this show looks like and you want time on it i'm like i, I was gonna tweet this the other day but it's uh giving la comics uh spots on my nightmare bar show as punishment for coming to new york city <laughs> dude I, I mean there's always that bit of like starting a show that like doesn't really happen and then just like putting out <laughs> posters and then yeah people being like oh so how's the show going <laughs> I want to book, I want to, I've thought about this before. I think it'd be funny to get a bunch of people who have shows together and we, on our flyers, we all make up a person that gets booked on all these shows around the city. So people are like, who is this guy? Who is this girl? It's like killing it out there. So I I had a bit for a while. I mean, it's along the same lines of just a straight up line to people Yeah, (laughs) uh, where you basically just like for like comedian friends of yours, you just like tell people about a bit that you said they saw they did and killed even though they have no material about it mm. but it's always like some, i like to i like to make it offensive though yeah, yeah where it's fun where like if we're talking about like bo baloo who's like a good <laughs> friend of mine i'm just like oh dude i was at a show the other night and bo did this joke where he said the n-word on stage and it worked <laughs> right so then you like and you hype it up and you're like what <laughs> where basically yeah. it's just you trying to gaslight bo into being like well now i have to write a joke about this. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing one of my like show bits is I uh okay Lee's popping in uh but one of my show bits I do is when I go to a show that I'm not on the other comedians who are not on the show I'll like come up to them and be like oh good set man you killed it <laughs> dude people I've I've had that happen where because I mean like if people like don't know what I look like I look like most guys in Brooklyn right <laughs> so it's like it's like skinny white dude dresses well but not flashy mm-hmm. and like uh facial hair yeah <laughs> right so like i've had mold probably like five times at different shows people come up and they're like oh i saw you on tv no, i'm like no no you saw <laughs> someone who looks like me on tv but i would love to be on tv yeah right <laughs> uh give One me that those. tell me what credit i can pretend to use yeah uh that's your that's your stretch credit is uh would you you're like they're like i loved you on tv you're like oh yeah what network was that and they're like oh comedy central that's good yeah as seen on comedy central if you don't know what he looks <laughs> I <did>. like <laughs> i heard one person be like, oh, just say you've been on Comedy Central. And they're like, no one checks it. <laughs> no one has cable anymore. They can't. No one, and it's like also like there's so much like digital content and stuff yeah. like that now where it's like, I mean, that was just a funny thing that made me laugh really hard where they're like, you can just say Comedy Central. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but I mean, but then you like people are kind of like, oh, what'd you like? You can feel yeah, out. I've, yeah. I've like you sniff out when people are like, hey, I got a credit on this. And they're like. I'm, really no you don't <laughs> no you don't i know you 
Awesome. Well, Tony, this has been so great talking to you. Thank Dude. you so much for coming on. Yeah. We're a bit, we're quite a bit over time actually, but this has been wonderful. So yeah. cool. Uh, where can the audience find you? Uh, Instagram at uh, Tony Sykowski, S Y K O W S K I. Um, and yeah, also uh, follow at uh, Pipe Up Comedy um, and Waterline on Instagram. That's awesome. probably the best place. Hell yeah. Guys, go check out those shows. Go follow Tony. Those shows are so much fun to go to. Check them out. Follow him on everything. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for, so much for tuning in. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, please. Uh, <laughs> and I'll see you all next week. Bye. Thank you.